This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Nation. Welcome back to another great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero, coming to you live here on this Monday evening. Joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? JR, what's going on? Welcome, everyone, to episode 605. No, this is not the NWA. This is the longest-running episodic for the fucking gold standard. The mothership, the Place to Be Podcast. JR, how's it going? What's cooking? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Summer has arrived. A lot going on, of course. It's been very busy, yep. uh, nonstop. But you know, still, still hitting the grindstone. Get these pods in. Yes, my friends. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a good. I feel like uh, we had like no spring because I feel like that's how New England has become now. We go mm-hmm. from like thirty to we have you know it's in the thirties and forties. Then we get two days of fifty, and then it's ninety-seven. <laughs> it's like you know, you know, spring is like forty-eight hours, and then it's, it's hot. But you know what that means, sir. Uh, when we get into hot weather, that means a certain saint is around the corner. Mm-hmm. That's when I get excited. Yeah, a month away, so yeah. be ready Pumped. to go. Yes, girl man's ready. Uh, speaking of girl man, we have someone else whose nickname has man in it. Who is the third member of our trio tonight? Uh, well, he's not the tool man, uh, but he is the co-host of Viewer's Choice Podcast over at the North-South Connection Podcast Network. He's also... Uh, co-host of the Final Wrestling Place podcast with our buddy Marcus. He does a lot of work for us over at NOSO. Uh, king of our logos and uh, an idea man is what I call him, not a tool man. That is Mr. Tim Taylor. Tim, how are you? I am so glad to be here. Uh, as a representative of Flair Country and the old school WCW, I think it's kind of fitting that, uh, or kind of happenstance, that I'm on the 605 episode of Place to Be. So glad to be here. Glad to have you as a first-time yes. guest, uh, yes. not counting certain December-based shenanigans, of course. Uh, yes. But uh, good to have you here. And it is a very big show, Scott, because it culminates our you know, first year back on this timeline. We started it at Backlash 2007, and yep. here we are at our first WrestleMania since the reboot, WrestleMania mm-hmm. 24. So yes. exciting times. We've been really chronicling the build-up to this moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to be here. Exciting to be here at our first Mania back in the reboot. Uh, but before we head to 2008, 
as usual, like we do on the show, we do a little throwback, a little vintage dip into some old school wrestling and pop culture. And we're going to launch things off with our vintage pop culture corner. Going to throw things over to Scott Criscolo, taking us back 14 years prior to 1994. Uh, thank you, Jr. Uh, well, not the pop culture. We'll do that later. This is uh, we're going back to the uh, what was uh, the big flamethrower doing 14 years ago in 1994 and their competition, uh, WCW. So I don't know when this tradition started. Uh, maybe Jr. Maybe you have some insight or Tim. Uh, when post WrestleMania, uh, WWF slash E in this case F would go out to Europe and, and do the Europe loop and all that. Uh, we are obviously 10 days past uh, WrestleMania 10. It is March 30th, 1994, uh, and they are overseas. So we have two loops. Guys, well, let me I know. know which... I know 92, they definitely did a European tour after. Um, and, yeah. and I think, I want to say 90, 91, they went to Japan right after Mania. Yeah, 91 was Japan because that's the, yes, I just thought of that when you said that because that's the card when like Hogan fought the Road Warriors or whatever with what's his fate with, uh, not Hashimoto. I forgot who he tagged with. Remember, it was Hogan and somebody. Yeah, well, again. that was, and that was Earthquake and Katao with the shoot fight or whatever. I think yes. Too. yes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, all right. It makes sense. So, anyway, so on this date, March 30th, 1994, uh, WWF was very busy. So, you guys tell me which card you think uh, is better. So, uh, one loop was at the Eichwedal. Something Ludwig Borger would say. The Eichwedal in Zeltwig, Austria. Uh, sadly, of course, Ludwig was not around. <laughs> Otherwise, mm -hmm. it would be pretty great if he was. I know he was from Finland, but still. Uh, all right, so here's the card. Tell me what you think. Adam Bomb defeats Rick Martel. Uh, the women's champion, Alundra Blaze, defeated Leilani Kai. Lani Kai. Randy Savage defeated Crush. Intercontinental champion, Razor Ramon, defeated Shawn Michaels. Sparky Plug pinned Bastion Booger. The Smoking Guns defeated the Head Shrinkers. And in the main event, Lex Luger defeated Yokozuna by countout. Okay, that's Loop A. Loop B was in a much more easier place to say, the arena in Peterborough, England. Hmm. So, so, not bad. So here's this card. Quang defeated Coco Beware. Diesel defeated the 123 Kid. Earthquake defeated IRS. Speaking of Earthquake, Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> defeated Tatanka. Jeff Jarrett defeated Doink. The tag team champions, Men on a Mission, defeated the Quebecers. And in the main event, our world heavyweight champion, Brett the Hitman Hart, defeated his brother, Owen. Hmm. What do you think, Tim? That is, loop, that is loop B all day. It's got Big Kev. And Jeff Jarrett and Bret Hart, I'm done. That's all I need. Mm. I think Lupe is a better show, but Lupe's got the must see match. Like, that's like Razor Sean is probably pretty good, I'm guessing. Um, but I think Bret Owen, that, that's probably the one you want to be at, I, I yeah. would assume. Uh, pretty funny that they wouldn't even let Lex get the clean win <laughs> over your <Yoko. laughs> The title's not even involved. They're overseas. Like, come on, what are we doing? The middle of fucking nowhere, and he still doesn't get a clean, it doesn't get the pin. Um, so there you go. So there's where WWF was on this date in 1994. They were overseas. Uh, WCW, actually, it's the first time we've had this uh, in a while, JR. Uh, WCW was actually doing a TV taping at the Center Stage Theater in, uh, in Atlanta uh, for March 30th. <laughs> Seth, 
785, a sellout, all freebies. <laughs> mm, <naturally. laughs> That's such such Bischoff. Uh, so there was a WCW Saturday night taping. I'm not going to go through all the matches. Um, let me do a little. They were doing an episode of, uh, yeah, definitely an episode of Saturday night. I'll do a couple of storyline notes for you. Uh, feature, this, is, uh, this would have aired on April 23rd. 94 uh, featured Gene Okerlund conducting an interview with Sens- Sensuous Sherry in which she said her goal was to find a man that could bring her the WCW world title. It was her debut. Actually, she debuted on this on this taping uh, Too cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell defeated the gambler and Tony Zane there you go. and a few other cards as well. And then they taped some pro uh, hosted by Gordon Soli, Dusty Rhodes uh, ad promoting the WCW merchandise catalog, Spring Stampede Control Center. Uh, comments that aired from Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair about their upcoming match uh, included footage of Okerlund interviewing Hulk Hogan on the beach alongside Ed Leslie in which Hogan addressed whether he would come out of retirement and beat Flair. So this happened all before the, the, the parade and all that fucking shit. I guess so. Right. If he was actually on the taping, I guess so. Uh, yeah. I think the parade's June. I thought. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's leading up to bash at the beach. 94. Right. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, if you're interviewing Hogan on TV, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's a done deal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much bullshit after that. So anyway, so a bunch of other stuff as well. And yada, yada. So so on this date, March 30th, 1994, WCW did a a, uh, TV taping. They did Saturday Night and Pro and uh, WWF was on their post WrestleMania uh, Europe loop. So uh, there we go, Jr. Uh, time now to pass it over and uh, fire up a little herb. What do we got? All right, Tim, you ready? Excited for some uh, Herb Coons tidbits or what? I I cannot wait. I've been waiting for this all day. All right, all right. We got a batch of four here, starting March fourth, nineteen ninety four. As reported already, Jim Ross is out with Bell's palsy, which has paralyzed half his face. He may be out as long as three months. You can hear more about that. And Jim Ross's thoughts about that on Wrestling Warzone, most recent episode, uh, where we chronicled Jim Ross's uh, super rant on Raw uh, that was uh, years in the making. He talked about that, of course. Speaking of being fired, Marginetti fired by the WWF after the most recent European tour for unprofessional conduct. <laughs> I think that's one of his longest runs, too. Um, the guys over at New Gen on a Mission, uh, Pratt and Slomka, uh, North South have been talking about this Genetti run and kind of being surprised he's still around. Uh, but I mean, he's there from when he comes back in May all the way to this point here in March. So that's that's almost a year for him as a featured player. That's right. That's a solid run for Marty. And winning a belt, too. He won the IC title for a yes. cup of coffee. So definitely. And yeah. a tag. And then one, two, three kids. All right. Tag. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. That's big. And they were in the middle. Uh, you know, Scott, when we reviewed those Raws, uh, the written reviews on PlaceMedation.com, we uh we talked about that little mini feud too. Remember him and Kid were fighting like Johnny Polo and everything, and then Jimmy oh, yeah. just disappeared during the middle of it. Yep. On March 11th, 1993, the Ultimate Fighting Championship 2 takes place on pay-per-view. Royce Gracie will be back to defend his title on this cheap pay-per-view. WF has WrestleMania 10, March 20th. Announced matches. Lex Luger versus Yokozuna for the WF title. Bret Hart to fight the winner. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. Crush versus Randy Savage in a Fall Sky Anywhere match. Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels in a ladder match. Quebecers versus men on a mission for the tag team titles. Alundra Blaze defending her women's title. Adam Bomb versus Earthquake. Doink and Dink versus Bigelow and Luna. 
And the head shrinkers, Rick Martel, IRS, and Jeff Jarrett versus Smoking Guns, Sparky Plug, Tatanka, and the One Two Three Kids. So Herb's pretty much got his nails a few weeks out here. Mm-hmm. Um, cards, card set. Little Richard will be singing the U.S. national anthem. Burt Reynolds and Jenny Garth will appear. It's also expected George Steinberg will be a guest timekeeper, or ring announcer, and Evander Holyfield, one of the guest referees. There's also talk that Roddy Piper or Kurt Hennig appearing, but Hennig is confusing these days to talk about him. There's also talk Undertaker may make a spooky appearance at WrestleMania. There's talk that Missy Hyatt will begin a second stint with the WF beginning, beginning at this pay-per-view. And the Observer said there are reports that in Japan, Bull Nakano is being talked about working against Alundra Blaze on the show. And that's not too far off. She comes in right after Mania. Uh, lots of talk that Jerry Lawler will be returning at the show with the angle being he's responsible for poisoning Owen Hart's mind against his brother. Thank God they didn't go that route. Uh, WrestleMania will run hand in hand with FanFest. They run ads to the event during the Cindy's saying that Doink will be set up in a dunk tank and the whole thing will have a carnival atmosphere and admission will be $22 for two and a half hours. Spring Stampede, WCW's uh, uh, pay-per-view on April 17, 1994. Tentative lineup, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat for the WCW title. Nasty Boys versus Cactus Jack and Max Payne for the tag team titles in a Cleveland street fight. Rick Rude versus Sting for the international title. Vader versus The Boss. Steve Austin versus Great Muda for the U.S. title. Regal versus Pillman for the TV title. Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck in a Bunkhouse match. Tom Zenk versus Terror Horizon. And they expect Nobbs to be okay for the show, suffering a dislocated shoulder at Super Brawl. Slambery 2 on May 22nd. Tentative lineup is Rude versus Vader for the international title. Austin versus Johnny B. Bad for the U.S. title. Regal versus Zabisco for the TV title. Dustin Rose versus Bunkhouse Buck. And Bruno Sammartino, Killer Kowalski, and Ray Stevens in appearance. King of the Ring, Baltimore, June 19th. Uh, anything jump out from this edition for you guys? Other than you just talking about WrestleMania 10 and reminding me of that horrible Randy Savage crush match, everything else just sounds great. But I just I need to watch that. I just <laughs> flashbacks to that match just gives me the heebie-jeebies. No, uh, he's. I feel like he's uh, not reaching for straws as much. But by 1994, of course, he probably had. He was getting better sources, so things aren't as uh, iffy as they were maybe even like two years before. So he seems to be getting things kind of more hammered out in terms of his facts. Well, let's see. Maybe because of Mania season, maybe helping. Mm -hmm. I know WCW is getting better, too, because of the tapings. They're taping so much in advance. He's just getting the reports and figuring shit out, right? So it's it's there. Um, All right, let's jump ahead a week to March 11th. The infamous manager of the Sheik, Eddie the Brain Creechman, has passed away. Jim Ross's WF tenure is over. As reported last week, he's battling Ball's palsy, paralyzed part of his face. As a result, he's been absent from broadcast for some Vince McMahon to use Johnny Polo as a color commentator. It may take as long as two months to recover, at which time his contract would be up. Word is that both parties have already decided not to renew his contract. Ross had moved to Connecticut when Vince demand he uh, relocate uh, because of his broadcast team. This is the same demand that Bobby Heenan didn't want to meet, and that led to him leaving, since the promise of being top dative commentator made his world seem rosy. However, there was always lots of talk of the dative product, although often more athletic in recent years, was still too unrealistic for Ross's tastes, and he never quite felt quite comfortable pushing it. Ross was back in Atlanta this past week, but it's unclear if him, him and WCW have reached an agreement. Besides his poor relationship with Jesse Ventura, Ross will also have tr- some trouble with Tony Schiavone. Each man would want to be the key commentator for the company. It's already been reported on the net, but here's a recap. At the TV tapings on February 22nd, 
Dodiaf ran a scenario where Jim Cornette got chased off during an interview by Lex Luger, and in the process, he dropped the Dodiaf title on the ground. Lex picked up the title, and Vince suggested it could be upset Cornette if they did a mock announcement of Luger as a world champion. So Lex was introduced that way and emerged from behind the curtains with the belt on. Most believe this gives away the finish of WrestleMania 10, while some think it's just a ruse to fool the people to try and guess the finish. Dodiaf has never wasted valuable taping time before trying to fool people in this manner. Ric Flair is now the head of the booking committee in WCW. As mentioned here already, his first set of Saturday night tapings hinted a heel turn. In one angle, during Ricky Simo versus Steve Austin, winner gets a world title match uh, at Spring Stampede. Flair made the save for Steamboat when Parker interfered. During the melee, Steamboat accidentally chopped Flair and the two don't make up. This angle has been done many times before to add interest in face-versus-face matchups, so it doesn't signal a turn. Flair, however, did do an interview dumping on Hulk Hogan, confronting Ricky Steamboat during one of his interviews. Steamboat brings up the 1989 two out of three falls match on the all-nighter. We successfully defended the title against Flair and defends Hogan from Flair. I suppose it's quite possible that Hogan has agreed to come in for a series against Flair with Flair as a heel, and that's why they're going this way. Flair versus Hogan could be the main event of July's Great American Bash pay-per-view. On this Friday, March 11th, we have the Ultimate Fighting 2. Royce Gracie is back defending his title. WrestleMania 10 runs down the card again. Uh, same celebrities. No mention of Steinbrenner now. Just says Undertaker, Missy Hyatt, Piper, Hennig, Lawler, uh, and Ted DiBiase being involved as well. He might be brought in as a surprise manager. Some folks insist this is Shawn Michaels' final match before jumping to WCW. Spring Stampede, same card. Slam same card. And King of the Ring, still from Baltimore. So uh, any thoughts on, on some of that stuff at the, off the top, Tim? Uh Hearing the idea of Shawn Michaels in 94 going to WCW kind of makes me wish for an alternate universe where that kind of happened. Seeing where he would have fit in with guys in the mid-card being able to work with like Steamboat and stunning Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes before jumping over to WWF. Mm -hmm. uh, that is very intriguing to me. I mean, he would have... <sighs> It would have been interesting timing because in theory, yes, you just named all those guys and everything else. But we're also just months away from like Hogan showing back up. Like, right. I don't know. Would he want to deal with all that again? Um, but that stretch you just mentioned, if he's there, like because that stretch is awesome. It would have been interesting for sure. What do you think, Scott? Um, yeah, I, I could. I, I, it's possible. It's possible. But I'm. I'm not sure. It was a very, it, it, I don't know. It's not, I'm not sure. Possibly. Hard to think, hard to say. And you have to think too, what, at what time does Tara Ryzen show up for WCW? <laughs> because their <laughs> ships might've crossed sooner rather than later. <laughs> And we could have gotten DX and WCW if they played their cards right. Like, I'm just saying, who needs the NWO? Yeah. And then the NWO is, uh, it, it's all weebly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Would the colors have been like uh, purple? You know, because Terror Ryzen's robe was purple. It would have <laughs> been the WCW. Totally it would have been WCW purple and gold. <laughs> it would have been like a pro company faction going against like the Horsemen. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, Terrorize is there. I mean, this is his stretch, right? Because I think he had just 
showed yeah. up, but he's definitely at Starcade, I believe. Yeah, he is. Oh. He wrestles you know, Alex Wright, but I don't think he's terrorizing at that point. I think he's Jean Pierre or yeah. not Jean Paul. I think he's Jean Paul Levesque. Jean Paul Levesque. Yeah, I think he's yeah. Jean Paul Levesque by that point. And we know he's in WWF by right after Mania, so I think yeah. he leaves like right after Starcade. Yeah, he definitely wrestles. It. He's definitely at Starcade. He wrestles Alex Wright. <laughs> Purple and gold. <laughs> I'm just thinking that because of the awesome robe. Which, which I love. I still mark out that came out uh, during the feud with Jericho in 2000, going leading to WrestleMania. It was pretty great. My God, you're t- look at this robe. That's so great. I always thought that was funny. All right, March 18, 1994. Well, in the bookstore earlier, I flipped through a current issue of The Wrestler, blah, blah, blah. Uh, WrestleMania 10, same card. Here's a summary of rumors and announcements. Jenny Garth, Burt Reynolds, and a former new kid on the block will appear. Little <laughs> Richard will sing the national anthem. Kurt Hennig, Roddy Piper, and Undertaker may appear. Missy Hyatt might debut. Ted DiBiase has a surprise and may debut as a manager. The FBI will probably not appear. This may be Shawn Michaels' final DoDF appearance. At a taping that airs post-WrestleMania, Lex Luger was filmed wearing the belt and was announced as a new champion. It's expected he will leave the show as champion. It's expected Owen Hart will somehow be involved in Bret Hart not winning the title. Rumor is Jerry, Hart, Jerry Lawler surfacing as the bug in Owen's ear to turn him against his brother. It's expected George Steinberg will be guest timekeeper or ring announcer at Evander Holyfield's guest referee. Bam Bam Bigelow is expected to lose it, leave the DF, and lost here would single, signal that. WrestleMania 10 will be uh, going head-to-head with Video Marine Pad, Pad 1. That's a stupid fucking shit he's watching at home, I think. Mm. Um, so he said FBI here, and at first I thought he meant like ECW's FBI, but they didn't exist yet. So I don't know if he means the real F- This is like his dig at Vince, I guess, and the FBI, I'm guessing. Because uh, this is right, right around the trial is going to be starting. I think yeah. that's his uh, joke. So, I mean, a lot of these are on point. Obviously, a, a handful also aren't. It's not Sean's last match. Bigelow doesn't leave. Um, Steinbrenner and Holyfield aren't there. Missy Hyatt doesn't come in. Although, I think that was rumored. Like, I think that was legit. I think, yeah, I think they were talking. That's crazy, though, because, like, Missy Hyatt just didn't fit. The way she had become by the mid-90s, I feel like it didn't well, fit WWF at that moment. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying the rumor is not true. I'm just saying I, I, I'm surprised they would have because she was getting it wasn't like 90 Missy Hyatt or 91 Missy Hyatt. Like, but know, though, she, goes she goes back. Yeah, but isn't she back in W? Oh, yeah, I guess she goes to ECW, right? She's already done. No, the she's, WCW run. she's pretty. And she, yeah. And she's pretty slutted out by then. So um, Bigelow, no, yeah. Bigelow, no, leaving. Sean, this is what Sean wanted. They they got Sean. He wanted the time off. He wanted to, man, you know, he ends up managing and he got what he wanted. I don't know why why uh herb was like leaning on that right. he pretty much sean got what he wanted for, uh, in 94 time off feel better hang out with uh you know fucking diesel and all that shit and he got what he wanted so i don't know where that came from um taker i don't know if they would have um like taker wasn't in that realm yet so i don't know if uh, it's not like years later like Taker just showing up for the sake of showing up just doesn't seem like. Well, I think I think it might be like a return, or just like um. Right. Maybe they tease something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, that's pretty much it for these notes. He just runs down the WCW cards again. Tim, any thoughts on those? Yeah, Undertaker coming back at WrestleMania is kind of weird, considering that he was sent to heaven like a couple of months before. <laughs> that's a really short down and back trip. WrestleMania uh, is heaven, pal. I JR know. JR <laughs> Understand him going to heaven. So <laughs> I know it's it's just it's kind it would be kind of weird to see 
even even as supernatural as the undertaker was at that point in time between the casket match and wrestlemania i don't feel like there's enough time like i think he's just i think he's just grabbing all the pasta and throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks mm-hmm. yeah it also wasn't really needed um no. i think it's smarter to do the way they do it and save his return to sell SummerSlam. um Mania is already loaded with the two title matches, all the surprises, the celebrities, MSG. Like, you're pretty much shelling it on that. Like, you don't need Taker to buff that no. up. Save if it. He's to, not, yeah, save if it he's to not ready. SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, was, he, was he injured? He wasn't injured, right? He just, I think he was, he, like, nagging injuries thing, wasn't it? Like, he... Like, it wasn't like when he like, left in 99 where he was legitimately... No, needed. no. I think it was just, like... Is this he, does he get divorced too? His first wife or something? I don't know. I may, some, may have mixing him up with someone else, but it might have just been. I think it was like nagging injuries. He just yeah. needed to rehab a bit. Yeah. Tim, what sense. Yeah. Also, another big thing too is like the selling point of it being WrestleMania 10. Like right. that. Yes. That by itself right. is almost enough at that point. They really, they really made a big deal of the milestone mm-hmm. WrestleMania. Yeah, I agree with that. And also the ladder match, obviously, is a big one. Yeah. Too, so. yeah. Right. Yeah, they're they're pretty much stacked up here. They don't, they don't really need Taker. Brett yep. Owen. Yeah. Nah, that that show was loaded right from the get go. All right, last batch here. March twenty fourth. Bret Hart came out of WrestleMania ten on Sunday as a world champion. It's well known before the show that the plan was to give Brett an extended title reign at some point this year, but most expected Luger would escape with the title on the show, with the switch to Brett via an interim heel champion taking place later in the year. But Vince McMahon succumbed to their fans who have always offered Brett more chairs than they did Luger, despite all the time and money spent pushing Luger. In a post-match interview, Hart said he'd take on all comers, including his brother Owen, who had pinned Brett earlier in the night. I'd relish the opportunity of wrestling Owen again, and when my mind isn't cluttered, Owen is a good wrestler. He may beat me one out of ten, but never twice in a row. Shawn Michaels is officially taking off time from wrestling after his loss to WrestleMania 10, but he's not leaving the WWF. Instead, he'll host an interview segment and be in front of the camera, just not in the ring. Kurt Henning and Roddy Piper returned to WWF to referee two world title matches on the card. Henning turned heel at the end of the Luger-Yokozuna match, screwing Luger out of the title, reestablishing their feud with the heel face rolls reversed. Henning's return should help balance, perhaps, temporary loss of Michaels. Alondra Blaze probably won't have any Japanese opponents until the end of the year at the earliest. And Bim Bim Bigelow is staying around. After all, he's one of the few guys with a name in Japan. The WWF needs him when their tour comes up. Yokozuna is expected to turn babyface. It'll be interesting to hear how his mysterious fall to ropes will be explained this coming weekend. And of course, I don't think they ever explained shit um, nope. at all. Nope. Does he? I guess he's around all through the summer, right? Or does he leave and come? Yeah, he's gone. And then he leaves the Survivor Series, comes back in Mania, right? Yeah, he's in the yeah. Crush team. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. WCW has completely dropped the Freebirds versus Johnny B. Bad storyline, established a super brawl. They get rid of the poorer workers of the feud. This type of thing happening is not surprising as the booking power is transferred to Ric Flair. These transitions could be bumpy. The second UWFI shooting pay-per-view, uh, shoot fighting pay-per-view airs on tape on April 16th. Also on April 16th, New Japan is running its annual top of the Super Junior Tourney. Some people are disappointed the tournament will be a one-night single elimination tournament and that Sabu is not coming. Spring Stampede in 417, he runs on that card. Apparently, the plan on this show is for Sting to win the WCW international title from Rick Rude, but Rude doesn't want to drop the belt to Sting. Rude actually lost the title in Tokyo to Hirohase on March 16th. We'll likely regain it tonight in Tokyo. It would be a pleasant surprise if he didn't, though, because then they could bring Hase over to the pay-per-view to lose to Sting. WCW has resurrected its talent trading deal with New Japan 
a little while ago. WF Kingpin, Vince McMahon's trial. Oh, this is very timely. For steroid distribution <laughs> will begin on May 2nd, 1994. It's expected that Hulk Hogan will testify against Vince. In the meantime, Jesse Ventura's case against Vince, wherein Jesse argues he deserves compensation for his voice being in all the home videos, began on Monday. Toronto Sun had a summary article on the weekend dealing with the current situation in the WF. No new facts and was really a somewhat distorted view of history. There's interview segment uh, snippets from Jacques Rougeau, who's 33 years old, been wrestling for 17 years, married for eight, and has two sons. Ruggiero defended and praised McMahon, criticized Vince's enemies, rewriting history along the way. Says Ruggiero, in my wildest dreams, I never thought wrestling could be this big. There have been times over the last few years where I've been mentally blown away by the enormity of the crowds. 90,000 in Detroit, 80,000 in England, and 60,000 in Toronto. Ruggiero was being quoted as making $500,000 a year. Vince told me the first time I met him, he can't guarantee me anything. All he could do is provide an opportunity. I'm often asked why wrestling became so big. The answer is always the same as Vince McMahon. He's a genius. He sees things that no one can see. He will then make people believe it. I'm a puppet on a string and he pulls the strings, but I have nothing but respect for Vince. I'm as straight as they come. It was very difficult working a few years when a lot of people were doing drugs and taking steroids. I figured that if you smoked or sniffed, you deserve what is coming to you, which meant being fired. That's why I think Vince made enemies. Wrestlers started to bleed their own character. When they go home, they've got no job and they're frustrated. They have to express a hatred and blame someone else. So they blame Vince. Today, there's only one competitor, WCW. While they compete for the Wrestling Dollar Associations, are vastly different. WF sells entertainment. It admits it's not real and predetermined. WCW sells wrestling, but it hasn't been able to sell entertainment. Uh, there's a lot there, so we'll get to that in one second. <laughs> WCW has also started pushing the Ric Flair Hulk Hogan storyline, which will easily be the biggest drawing main event of the year. There's talk of the first of uh, the first pay-per-view match will take place at July's Great American Bash. Meltzer reports Hogan wants to wait until August to run in Wembley Stadium. The Observer reports confidently that the buy rate for Super Bowl is 0.67, meaning if you exclude WrestleMania, it's easily the biggest buy rate increase the past few years due to pay-per-views because it's WrestleMania, WCW, and WF are not that far apart as far as buy rates for the big shows go. Add in the top two, above two items, and it's hard to predict what will happen for WF this year. Ron Slambury says Tully Blanchard is making noise about a return, and then King of the Ring from Baltimore. Um, it says there's some confusion on the date, though, because Dodef has announced a card on another city on this date. All right, so that's it for Herb. Uh, any final thoughts here before we move along? I think if Vince McMahon had just given Jesse Ventura a sum of, say, like $3 million, all of his problems could have gone away. <laughs> Possibly. And not told a soul. <laughs> <laughs> and then pass Jess and then pass Jesse off to Blackjack Lanza. He's <laughs> the inferior Blackjack McMahon. I'm not going with Lanza. <laughs> if I want to, if I want to give a piece, I'm giving it to Mulligan. Uh, shit. Nah, uh, Herb's kind of got the pulse. I, I still think the Missy Hyde thing's funny, but it wouldn't surprise me. But I feel like she was already passed. A goody goody stage and was ready to kind of slut herself up by the time she got to WCW, uh, ECW. So I wonder how, uh, you know, Jacques Rougeau angling for that, uh, producer job for life backstage or bookers or whatever. <laughs> Definitely, uh, trying to stay in the good graces as tag team champion. That's right. Hmm. All right. Uh, with all that in the books, we're going to stay in 1994, Scott. Time for some pop culture. a sign of uh, the times. Things were changing in wrestling, and the sign was the number one song uh, this week 
in uh, 1994, Ace of Base, with the sign. Good song. Uh, uh, at song. number two, classic song. Number two, Bump and Grind by R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. Speaking uh, of, speaking of uh, $3 million settlements. <laughs> not settlements. Uh, uh, Without You slash Never Forget You by Mariah Carey at three. Power of Love by Celine Dion at four. What a Man by Salt and Peppa featuring En Vogue at five. So Much in Love by All for One at six. Now and Forever by Richard Marks at seven. Uh, mm, 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 by Crash Test Dummies, or as we call it, mm, Cubed at uh, at number eight. Gin and Juice by Snoop Dogg at nine, and Cantaloupe by US Three. Bookending with some Mossium Classics right there. That's right. Uh, that is uh that's a great top 10 that's that's some yeah. that's some bangers right there it is definitely some bangers i agree with you 100 percent uh we're going from some bangers in, in uh, uh on the radio to bangers uh at the box office let's take a look at the uh the top movies uh this week ending april 1st uh 1994 the top three movies are all amazing sequels i'll get to that in a second so Jurassic Park is still making money at this point, $345 million. Uh, number 11, Sugar Hill. Number 10, Mrs. Doubtfire, hitting $212 million at this point. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral at 9, Above the Rim at 8. Do you see Above the Rim, JR? Uh, you know, I don't know if I ever have, actually. Hmm. i sure I remember that one. That's not the documentary, right? That's Hoop Dreams. i sure I remember right. Above the Rim. Above the Rim, uh, isn't that with... um? Is that the tall guy they bring over? Yeah, I think so. No, no, that's not. What am I thinking of? What's the one they bring the guy over from Africa? Uh, but they go recruit him. Above the Rim is um, Tupac. Yeah. Yeah, Above the Rim, Tupac yes. Dwayne, Tupac, Leon, Bernie Mac, Marlon Wayans. What the yes. hell am I thinking of? Oh, the air up there. <laughs> oh, the air. <laughs> <laughs> same movie. Same, same movie. Same concepts. Uh, Clifford debuted this week at number seven. Thumbelina at six. Uh, Schindler's List at five. The Paper at four. It was not far off, by the way. Air Up There was released January 7th, 1994. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. So the top three guys are three awesome sequels. Ready? At number three. Naked Gun, 33 and a third, The Final Insult. Yes. Not as good as the first two, but still very good. Number two, Major League Two. Oh, my gosh. You have no marbles. Yep. You've got no marbles. The train's coming down the tracks, butthead. Um, Yeah, Parkman, great heel. And the number one movie of the weekend, D2, The Mighty Ducks. Very good. So good. Epic, epic, uh, three. This epic is a great month in movies and music. Uh, that is a strong, yeah, run right there. It is very strong, very strong. Uh, all right, let's get a look at what was going on uh, in the NBA. 1993-94 was a great basketball season. Uh, on this date, there were three games: Celtics lost Indiana, uh, Rockets won, the Nets beat Miami. So, uh, the Knicks leading the Atlantic uh, by nine over Orlando. Uh, the Hawks lead the Bulls by three and a half in the Central. Rockets lead the Spurs by just a half game in the Midwest. And the best record in the league, the 52-17 and 17 Seattle Supersonics. Incidentally, the Denver Nuggets 
are 35 and 33. Hmm. Mm. Who does Seattle play in the first round? Hmm. We'll talk more about that down the line. Might just sneak into the eighth spot. We'll see. Uh, maybe. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this date, uh, on the uh, Frozen Pond, there were six games. JR, our Whalers won in overtime. They beat uh, the Blackhawks 3-2. to two. Speaking of the Ducks, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim beat the Kings 5-2. to two. Uh, Rangers and Devils tied in the Atlantic with 101 points apiece. Uh, Penguins lead the Northeast by two over the Canadians. Red Wings lead the Central by two over Toronto. And the Flames lead the Pacific by seven over Vancouver. And finally, on your pop culture corner, uh, now this March 30th, 1994 was a Thursday. Uh, It was an off night for our beloved show, uh, Beverly Hills 90210. But we'll go back a week to the episode that aired on March 23rd, 1994, season four. And if you remember, JR, this is a very memorable episode. Uh, It is called The Time Has Come Today. Mm. Uh, Brenda discovers a diary hidden in her window seat Uh, that apparently belongs to a previous resident. Brenda becomes engrossed in parallels between the girl's accounts of the political struggles of the late 60s and her own recent problems, imagining her and her friends in those Vietnam Woodstock days and is eventually able to join everyone on a ski trip after backing out of going with them to Brandon's irritation. So that's actually pretty uh, memorable uh, season yeah, four. That's a big one. We actually uh, covered that on Have You Heard About Pluto? <laughs> Jennifer Smith show, the mm-hmm. old Jenny position feed before switching over to North South. Me and Tim were guests, and um, we did that episode. On, uh, yeah, it's a great episode. Actually, the, the, the following episode that aired two weeks later uh, is actually pretty good. I'll have to double check. But I remember season four, I, I love a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite seasons. Uh, you know, obviously, Brenda's last and first year at Cal U. I, I actually like season four a lot. So. Uh, that's that's actually that's that's not the only good episode that season. So and uh, that to hear more about Nato Two and Be sure to check out the brand new feed, the sole yes. home yep. of Nato Two and So bh nine zero two one no so podbean dot com, or just search Nato Two and So on any podcatcher app. Every three weeks on Friday nights, you get a brand new episode, and very exciting. Uh, Scott, as you will be joining Mr. Capel mm-hmm. and I to wrap the finale and close out season one. It's been a crazy ride, uh, yes. but we are uh, through season one, which is pretty cool. So looking forward to season two in the Beach Club, of course, yes. in a few weeks. But uh, sh- be sure to subscribe to the brand new feed uh, feature yes. only that show. Yep. And that will do it, uh, Jr. for our pop culture corner. All right. Scott, anything you want to quickly hit on uh, place foundation going on? Uh, always check out the great stuff uh, here at the PTB Wrestling Network, including, of course, this uh, wonderful show. Uh, we, uh, of course, talk everything uh, wrestling. Uh, great shows like Highway to the Impact Zone and WA Crock and Roll, of course, this show. Uh, PTBN's main event, uh, of course, with all the stuff going on and currently in wrestling, there's not a shortage of stuff to talk about with myself, um, Nate Milton, and the current pinch hitter for Steve Willie, our good friend JR, the sheriff, Pete Sherman. Mocker has been joining mm-hmm. us the last few episodes. He's, he's awesome. We know we love Pete. Uh, Steve will be back soon, but Pete will never go away. He'll always be with us on the show. Uh, yeah, all the great stuff. Through the Looking Glass, myself and Dave Hall, uh, who, of course, has always been a friend to our show here. And uh, it's a great show. We Dave and I kind of find a piece of history and uh, turn it on its ear in an alternate universe and maybe find something to change about it, maybe something different. So check that out as well. Place to be.podbean.com. Follow the brand on Twitter at PTBN Wrestling. We do polls, we post the pods, all sorts of great stuff. So check it out. Also, of course, uh, check out the PTB Pop Experience uh, with uh, Andy and all the crew doing movies, music, all sorts of cool stuff. TV show recaps. Uh, if you're watching Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, there'll be a uh, probably 
to be a, a recap show about that finale coming up soon. I think by the time you listen to this, I think the finale may not have aired yet. Um, and of course, as JR mentioned, uh, the Jenny position is within uh, the no. So JR, what's going on over there? Uh, lots of stuff. We have a show hitting every day. We stream on our schedule to really maximize the content we deliver. We have evergreen wrestling content. We have some current wrestling content, uh, including both AEW and WWE. Of course, Tim and Marcus are here after every major wrestling pay-per-view event instantly with their viewers choice, recapping the show in a, a very concise way, which I always appreciate, of course. Uh, also want to highlight the wrestler that was, that is the sequel series to Aaron George's year that was in this one. He's breaking down individual wrestlers, WF careers. His first couple were on uh, Jake Roberts and then Razor Ramon, which were excellent. No one does a solo show like Aaron. Uh, it's tremendous content every other Monday. Be sure to check that out. Uh, plus, agree. just like I said, all the other great content uh, hitting on the various periods of pro wrestling. Tim, anything you want to hit on before we move along? Um, I would be remiss if I didn't plug uh, the show that Marcus and I do that's not on the footprint. Uh, Final Wrestling Place comes out every Monday at midnight uh, at Final, Res- uh, Final Wrestling Place or on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Spotify, iTunes, or not iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the whole nine. But we take uh, the nouns of professional wrestling and we assign arbitrary red points and green points and put them in the good place or the bad place. Uh, The season we're on right now, we're covering the bashes of wrestling. Uh, So we've covered Great American Bash 1996, Bash of the Beach 1994. um, And by the time this comes out, we will have already covered uh, NXT Great American Bash 2021. Mm. So we mm. uh, we span the gamut of all the good and the bad and uh, just try to do and have some uh, fun, fun stuff. But mm. excellent. All right. So check all that out. And now it's time to head back to 2008. For WrestleMania 24. We get you live on March 30th, 2008 from the Florida Citrus Bowl in Orlando, Florida. Attendance, 74,635. Buy rate of just over a million. So pretty successful pay-per-view outing for them. And, of course, uh, our 24th edition. It's our first outdoor WrestleMania since WrestleMania 9 in Las Vegas. First outdoor stadium WrestleMania, which is pretty crazy considering it's pretty much our all we do now going forward. Mm. Uh, it's the first WrestleMania in Florida, which also seems kind of crazy. The 12th overall pay-per-view in Florida. The first in Orlando since Armageddon 03. It's the first WrestleMania broadcast in high definition. And also the first WWE show in sports-related title released on Blu-ray by WWE Home Video. Mm-hmm. For the second consecutive year, WrestleMania has broken the record as the highest grossing pay-per-view in WWE history. It also set a gate record for the Citrus Bowl, $5.85 million in ticket sales. They spent an estimated three hundred grand on fireworks alone for this event. 
Lead up to WrestleMania, some uh, key things that happened for the company. Mar- uh, February 18th, Candice Michelle made a return to the ring after a four-month absence due to injury. The next week was the 500th episode of Heat, recorded at the U.S. Airways Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Of course, I believe we learned earlier today that the first episode of Heat uh, aired on Logan Cross's birthday or something along that, his first birthday, <laughs> or the day he was born. I don't know, some nonsense. Uh, February 27th, the last uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling TV taping to include WWE talent occurred. On February 7th, they had announced the end of the relationship with OVW, moving the contracted talent to Florida Championship Wrestling, which was formed in 2007. Fittingly enough, on March 11th, Jeff Hardy was suspended for 60 days following a second violation <laughs> of wellness policy. At some point, you'd like the son of a bitch just to figure it out. You know, it's Scott, it was 12 years ago or 11 years ago, we started the Place to Be podcast. We used to do a segment called The Asshole of the Week. And uh, Jeff's brother, Matt, was often oh, yeah. uh, featured on that segment because that was yes. during his uh, meltdowns and, and stupidity. And yep. we often called him out and put him on the rug. And to his credit, Matt Hardy cleaned up his life and got it on track and figured things out. It's had a, a successful run of uh, both off and on camera and sobriety, et cetera. And, and I would wish for his brother to just do the same. Uh, it was a tough few weeks because three days later, while on suspension, his house in Cameron, North Carolina burned down, losing virtually everything, including his pet dog. So Oof. a tough week for Mr. Nero, Jeff Hardy. Same day, Greatest Superstars of WrestleMania prepared at Carmike Cinema Theaters. Two days later, longtime manager and WCW booker Gary Hart passed away at age 68. March 27th is a pretty infamous occurrence. Robbie McAllister was caught on camera during a live TNA telecast in Orlando. Dodie yeah. then sent McAllister home. And, of course, he's one of the Highlanders. Uh, I always thought this is bullshit. Like, I know TNA was trying to, like, whatever fuck around and take a shot of duty. Oh, look, your talent's here. But they really fucked this poor guy who just did nothing wrong, but, you know, attend right. their taping. As yeah. a wrong fan. Place, wrong I, this one never sat right. With me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A little douchey. I don't remember if he got fired. I, I feel like they come back, but it was they shitty. Do come back. Yeah. yeah, they do come back. But yeah, this uh, is on March 29th, Ric Flair, Gordon Soley, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, Eddie Graham, Peter Maivia, Rocky Johnson, and Mae Young were inducted to the Hall of Fame at Orlando's Amway Arena. Ric Flair was the first active wrestler to become inducted to the Hall of Fame. And after the show, Dodie was criticized for a malfunction in the pyrotechnics during The Undertaker's victory celebration. During the celebration, a hot cable for pyro was sent flying into audience members in the upper seating of the bowl, leaving 45 injured and some hospitalized. Dodie's corporate website released a statement after saying they would investigate the incident, but those results of the investigation were never released. That was a pretty <laughs> infamous dealing as well. Glad they spent $300,000 uh, for the thing to almost fucking kill people. Right? Mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, we did have one dark match on the pre-show, a 24-man battle royal to determine the number one contender for ECW cha- uh, championship was exclusively streaming on Dewey.com. Each participant was announced on the way to the ring. The only one to receive uh, a full announcement was Great Khali, but Kane would win the battle royal, eliminating Mark Henry and would earn an ECW title match later in the night at WrestleMania against Chavo Guerrero. Mm-hmm. All right, so that sets the stage, and we head inside the Citrus Bowl. We have an awesome flyover. Uh, a shot of the jam-packed uh, stadium in Orlando. Lillian Garcia is here. She brings out John Legend to perform America the Beautiful, and he crushed it. Uh, yeah. I feel like he's not talked about enough on the list of uh, great America the Beautiful singers. You always have, of course, Ray Charles. as kind of the, the standard, Aretha Franklin. Uh, but John Legend, I, I thought it was tremendous here. Yes. 
Yeah, I agree. It was a good pick. It was wild to see. I'm curious your thoughts, Tim. It was wild to see uh, like this outdoor because we 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 haven't seen really an outdoor lit like daytime stadium since pretty much SummerSlam '92. Mm-hmm. Like with the sun still out and everything. I mean, it was cloudy and the weather kind of sucked in Orlando that day, but uh, right. It was really neat to see like the outdoor when we haven't really seen that in a long time on a WWE show. It was kind of cool, I have to say. Yeah, visually visually captivating like when you were mm-hmm. when you had mentioned this is like the first outdoor wrestlemania i was just i was taken aback and just with the the production value that wwe always puts into their events they make sure everything looks just pristine and it just looked so good in the the time or the the daylight cycle uh mm-hmm. heading into the early evening with uh, john legend starting it off with america the beautiful uh egot uh, John Legend, so. Mm-hmm. So, with that, let us get to our opening match. Packed house, JR. Our first match uh, is uh, JBL taking on Finley in a uh, Belfast brawl. On the February 18th Raw, Hornswoggle and Vince McMahon were scheduled for a steel cage match, which never took place. Before the match, JBL slammed the cage door on Finley, attacking him in the ring and handcuffed him to the ring ropes as McMahon whipped Hornswoggle with his leather belt. After McMahon left, JBL made Finley watch as he threw Hornswoggle face first into the cage, uh, kicked him in the head, and then hit a fallaway slam, which drove Hornswoggle again into the cage. The following week, uh, Vince came to the ring and admitted to making a mistake regarding the injury to Hornswoggle sustained the previous week and called for JBL to come out and apologize. JBL eventually said he was sorry for not injuring Hornswoggle earlier and claimed Hornswoggle was not really McMahon's son, but instead was Finley's and said, while Hornswoggle didn't know, Finley did and would make Finley admit the rumor is true. I didn't realize the storyline lagged that long. Um, Mm -hmm. On the March 3rd Raw, Finley admitted to McMahon that he was Hornswoggle's father and posed a challenge to JBL. JBL was then shown in the hospital at Hornswoggle's bedside with JBL agreeing to Finley's challenge and said it would happen at WrestleMania. Uh, He then slapped Hornswoggle across the face Turned off the lights with Hornswoggle then screaming. And then the following week, JBL appeared on the big screen before Finley's match and cut a promo saying he would beat Finley in their WrestleMania Belfast brawl and put him in a hospital bed right next to his Hornswoggle. Mr. Kennedy uh, then felt Finley's wrath as he beat him down in and out of the ring with his shillelagh, beating him down the aisle with the weapon until referees intervened. So there we go, JR. Finley and JBL. All right, and that was a good choice to open with the Belfast Brawl. It has some good violence potential with these two guys. I know we've been a little down on JBL since his return. Uh, we'll see if he gets it going. He mm. drives out to get us going, marches to the ring with an amazing set in the backdrop. This is one of the best Mania sets. Uh, we get a full video package highlighting the bully mode JBL, like you just noted, Scott helping Vince torture his son. And, uh, of course, we finally reveal it's not Vince's son, so that puts that whole thing to bed. Hornswoggle's back and out with Finley to a big pop. We're ready to rock. JBL attacks as he enters, and the brawl's on outside the ring. Heavy strikes, as you'd expect, just a barroom fight with Finley uh, turning the tide. The bell sounds as he brings weapons in, but JBL mashes him with a trash can to slow him down. JBL keeps pounding away. Lands a hard clothesline. The crowd rallies Finley as JBL grabs the steps. JBL sets up a pile driver on the steps, but Finley counters with a backdrop. Gets to work with some stiff weapon shots and rattling JBL to ooze. JBL comes right back with a big boot, smacks Finley around, and then grabs the club. But Hornswoggle whaps him with a kendo stick, and that allows Finley to pull out a second club, crack JBL the head, and roll to the floor. JBL follows him as Finley unloads 
uh, as we head back in the ring and sets up, uh, sets up a table, but he can't get JBL through it. Finley unloads a big clothesline, but JBL bails uh, out to booze, cracks Hornswoggle with a slap. Finley saves and unloads a flurry. Finley gets in the ring and does a no-hands tope, but JBL smashes him in the face with a trash can lid on the way down. Just a nasty spot. Back inside, JBL slings a trash can of Hornswoggle on the floor and crushes Finley with one. Does some really nasty stuff here. Finley comes back with the garbage can shots of his own, hits a Celtic cross, but can't finish. JBL hits him in the knee with a kendo stick and finishes with a clothesline from hell. And what I thought was a pretty surprising result to see Finley lay, uh, lay down here. A really good brawl, lots of hard weapon shots and strikes. They delivered in the violence. I think given the way this feud went, Finley probably should have went over. Uh, but I get they, they probably have some stuff planned for JBL. Uh, they get some time to breathe. They never slow down. And I went three stars on the Scott. Uh, what do you think of the match? And where do you think JBL is headed next coming off this win where they presumably have plans for him? Uh, I gave it three stars as well. Uh, 620. I'm sorry, not 622. That was the battle Royal, uh, 843 your match time. Mm-hmm. I, I was a little surprised. Um, uh, JBL must be in line for something big. Maybe he's mm-hmm. getting involved in a title feud. Maybe he'll, you know, maybe whatever happens with either Orton or, uh, taker on this night, maybe they plan something for them. Uh, which would make no sense. Well, Taker maybe, but we saw how that feud went four years earlier. Maybe it'll be a little better now. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't get, I, I, in the general scheme of things, I don't get Finley losing here. I, it, the whole thing was about, you know, defending the honor of his son, Swoggle. But yeah, I didn't get that. Having said that, I thought the match was actually pretty fun. Um, very violent. Um, it could have been more violent in a different era. I feel like if you stick this match, like in the attitude era, I bet there'd be a ton of blood. Uh, if they I think it might've been here too. Honestly, I just think they opening the show, like they weren't going to go full bells and whistles on these guys. Like there was such a long night ahead. I think, yeah, I think that was part of the reason why. Yeah, no, you're, you're probably right, but it was, it was a good match regardless, Tim. I'm a little perplexed. JBL one. I don't know where they are going with him. Uh, I mean, obviously winning the opener in this feud, which any feud that involves Vince usually is very high profile. So mm-hmm. maybe something's in the works. What do you think? I went uh, three stars for this as well. Uh, the match was was exactly what you would expect it. A very, very hard hitting uh, that you mentioned the tope. And I'm literally as soon as I was watching it back for homework, I was just like I, I looked at the TV and I was like, why? Like. Uh, Finley run, rolling back the clock and uh, it was it's really awesome to know that we got that second half of Finley's uh, career all thanks to mm-hmm. Hornswoggle for the most part um, so kudos to that um, for a feud that involved Vince McMahon so much it's kind of weird that once JBL gets injected I don't think Vince McMahon is involved right. very much at all Um where no, they just think, pee straight out. Right. It's like, ah, not my kid. I'm out. And let it be with uh, Finley and, and JBL. Mm. Uh, JBL has been involved in a couple of like opener, like opener brawl matches um, mm-hmm. at WrestleMania before. I think this is probably the best of all of the ones he's had um, as far as an opener goes. Um, and I think coming up in like a year, I think, JBL's in line to be like he's he is United States champion coming into it. So there is there is trajectory for JBL coming out of this. So 
but not for quite some time, or at least for a calendar year. So, mm. right. All right. We'll see what he does in the interim. Exactly. Uh, Kim Kardashian is backstage and talks about the atmosphere, sets up Money in the Bank, which will be coming up next. In comes Mr. Kennedy, and he says he will become the only person to win two consecutive Money in the Bank match. Scott, why don't you tell us how we got to this match? Yes. Uh, our participants, well, I'll tell you the participants right now and how they got them. Uh, on the February 18th uh, Raw, Jeff Hardy beat Snitsky, and Mr. Kennedy defeated Val. Venus. So those two got in. The, on the February 22nd SmackDown, uh, Shelton Benjamin defeated Jimmy Wang Yang. On the February 25th Raw, uh, William Regal placed Chris Jericho in a match against Jeff Hardy with the stipulation that if Jericho won, he would be in the latter match Jericho won. Then the following week, they faced off again, this time uh, for Hardy's Intercontinental Championship. Jericho won the match and became champion. So he is our current Intercontinental Champion, of course, as JR mentioned. A few moments ago, uh, Jeff Hardy was pinched, and he was gone for two months. So uh, He was also removed from the ladder match and pretty much the show altogether. So instead of replacing him, they just made it a seven-man uh, match. They didn't add an eighth person to replace him. On the March 3rd Raw, uh, Carlito defeated uh, Cody Rhodes. Hmm. Uh, on the March 9th SmackDown slash ECW live event taping, uh, Martin, uh, MVP uh, defeated Jamie Noble on the March 11th ECW CM Punk defeated Big Daddy V and the last guy to qualify was John Morrison on the March 14th Smackdown he defeated his tag team partner The Miz to be the last man to qualify so again seven men uh, they did not bother to fill the eighth spot that was vacated mm -hmm. when Jeff Hardy uh, got pinched so there we go all right, here we go. Money in the Bank time. The briefcase looks awesome. I thought dangling in the wind. The crowd is hyped. Really a stacked lineup, too. Uh, the announcers mm -hmm. are all dialed in, so we got everyone on board. A nice spot for Carlito, who's struggled a bit in 07, so it's good to see him maybe try and get back on track again here. And an uh, interesting mix. Some dudes that can really use the jump start. We get a big pop for Punk. This is a chance for him to maybe get out of ECW and step it up. Interesting, too, to have MVP here. It's a big match on the card. But he did have a monster 07. It felt like he might have been someone suited for like a spotlight match. Uh, instead, he's just kind of here. Uh, big spot for Jericho, too. Again, he feels like another guy that could have more of a marquee spot after return. But maybe he gets his mojo back. Could they have done a Jericho MVP match, maybe? Like for singles to give them both a shot? Mm. Like that could have been something. Mm. Jericho reminds us Jericho takes credit for creating Money in the Bank. We get a cool look as the sun is fading during the entrances. The lights are slowly coming on. Everyone's just brawling right away except for MVP, who kind of stalks around the ring, waits for a chance to grab a ladder to use as a weapon. Jericho grabs a giant ladder, and the st shots start flowing. Morrison is first to get wild as he does a moonsault off the top with the ladder in his hand, diving into a crowd on the floor. Big salvo to open up things. Uh, things keep ramping as Shelton powerbombs Kennedy and Morrison off the ladder at a huge pop. Shelton tries a Spider-Man jump, but the ladder crumbles under him, and he falls awkwardly. Punk comes close to winning, but Kennedy stops him. We get some brawling before our next spot. Punk yanks Shelton off the ladder and crunches him with a go to sleep, but Kennedy hits him with the plunge on the ladder. A lot of big strikes and ladder shots all mixed in throughout this as everyone gets some spotlight. The crowd is digging it too, popping for all the big spots. Shelton scales the ladder, but Kennedy and Carlito come over and tip it. Shelton swan dives off the ladder uh, into a ladder bridge outside. Carlito stares at him, uh, mouth agape afterward, which is great. The car crashes keep piling up as we ebb through control. Jericho gets his first big spot by hooking Morrison in the walls on top of the ladder, but Kennedy breaks it up. 
The crowd seems most into Jericho here, I thought. He gets the most cheers when he's getting close. Carlito scales up behind him and takes Jericho off with a backstabber that looks rough. MVP gets a moment alone. He scales the ladder, but then we get a big surprise as Matt Hardy makes his return. Uh, gets a monster pop. He scales the ladder and takes out MVP with a twist of fate. A great spot. The crowd is psyched to see him. That was well done and kind of a classic mania moment. Morrison tries to climb the fo- uh, a folded ladder wedged in between another ladder, but is quickly dumped off of it. Bodies are crunched everywhere as we edge to the back end of the match. Jericho gets close again, but Carlito's there and he spits the apple on his face to stop him. Carlito then grabs the case, but Kennedy shoves him off into another ladder. Kennedy gets close, but Punk stops him, which is a callback to last year. We get a good spotlight battle between Jericho and Punk as they war on the ladder, each guy getting super close. Punk trips up Jericho, ties him into the rung, and then grabs the case to win the match and the briefcase. I thought the ending was a little anticlimactic uh, after all the big bumps, but we had enough. It was, we didn't need another one. Uh, huge pump pop for Punk. Great money in the bank, as usual. Uh, tons of massive and creative st- spots. Not overdone or gratuitous. The Hardy spot was well done, and Punk was the right choice to win. Everyone got shine and delivered. Uh, Jericho was a linchpin. It seems like maybe the crowd's back with him, and Punk gets his pop. So, Tim, I went four stars on this. Uh, where do you think it ranks in the Pantheon to date? I would say... In my mind, I think it's only second to the first one at this point. But what do you think? Um, I went four and a quarter uh, for this, um, mainly because of just the memorable moments and the fact that the the right guy won the the briefcase. I feel like if there was ever time to pull the pull the trigger on Punk, now is the time. Uh, of course, um, he will be a major player moving forward. Um, as far as like the pantheon of money in the bank matches especially wrestlemania ones it it's up there for sure in in the rarefied air at the top um i do like the odd number of participants in the ladder match as opposed to having to shoehorn it at a even six or rounding up to eight um with the odd person out it does leave uh, a little bit for uh the numbers game to work out a little bit easier um, only thing I just hate about these money in the bank matches, and this is just my personal preference is it's always involving the intercontinental champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, the intercontinental championship and everybody, and it, it's not a, not a rare opinion, but the intercontinental championship, especially during this era is just not getting the love and respect that it probably should get, especially on a stage like WrestleMania. Um, I think this might be. I'm trying to think back. I think the last time it was probably defended was sheesh, 19, uh, maybe? It wasn't at 20, no, it wasn't at 21. Yeah. It, it's just been mm. stuck in this money in the bank match. And I'm like, if you go back and look, of course, we all know, if you're Intercontinental Champion, that kind of means you're de facto number one contender anyways. Why do you need the briefcase? Was it but, even 19? No, I mean, it's I think probably it's 18. 18. I think it's uh, RBD and uh, Regal. And Regal, yeah. yeah. So that's six years of WrestleManias with mm-hmm. no Intercontinental title being represented in a championship match. They're just put in a multi-person match for the right to to have your opportunity. There's that word again, to call your shot and and be able to, to cash in and, and win win a major championship. Um. But aside from that, it's not taking away from anything here. 
Um, the match is great. All the major players, all the players play their parts. Um, really, always just personally, I wish Shelton Benjamin would have gotten his hands on the money in the bank at some point. Um, but his time had come and gone, and this was definitely CM Punk's time. Uh, I agree. Uh, right choice. 15-12, your match time. Um, I also, uh, I gave it four and a quarter, actually. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the first one is really good. I've always liked um, the second one, uh, 2006, the one in Chicago. Uh, the one in Detroit wasn't wasn't terrible. Uh, I think the build of like the possibility of flair winning kind of added to that right was that 07 no that was 06 uh, i think that's what makes that one one of my favorites but this was really good um i agree with you I, as a matter of fact i would i would have been fine uh tim if like jr said maybe you do like a tight add a couple other guys in here that you could throw around and maybe do a like a jericho versus mvp you know champion versus champion kind of thing you know us uh, us champ versus intercontinental even if there's no even if they're not on the line at least it's it's felt as important, you know? Right. Um, so I would have been fine with that, too. Uh, I, I think the, the fact that the, the weather was so unsettling on this day, uh, I like you said, Jared, at the beginning with the, with the, the briefcase kind of swaying in the breeze was actually kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and the lights coming on with the gray skies, it was actually pretty cool uh, ambiance. I, I kind of dug it. But a really fun match. Punk was the right guy. I mean, he... Had to suffer through all that Morrison ECW stuff last summer. Uh, and then the whole, you know, Benoit, dying, you know, the Benoit stuff. Mm-hmm. And then then once he becomes champion, he's kind of like lost in the shuffle and he's stuck in all this big daddy V crap and everything. And it was time for him to move on. Like his he had outgrown mm-hmm. ECW fairly quickly. Big time. So, yeah, big time. yeah. So so this was his time to finally get the brass ring and uh, or get the key to get the brass ring. And uh I mean, we'll see what they do with it, but uh, a big win for him. Uh, good to see Matt back, Matt Hardy. <laughs> His brother goes in the can, and he, he comes back, which is kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, overall a fun match, and the right guy the right guy went over. I, uh, I, I approve of that. Uh, I still think the 21-1 is the best WrestleMania 21 ladder match, mm-hmm. but I think the one in Chicago at 22 I thought was really good, too, and I think doesn't That's get good. talked about much. I mean, they're all they're all great. There's really no bad. Maybe one or two over time you get that are, are downers, but most most are have a pretty high baseline. It's like rumble matches. There, it's right. hard to have a bad one, really. So right, right. My, I agree. Part of me wishes that they still did Money in the Bank at WrestleMania instead of making mm-hmm. it. Like I understand that Money in the Bank is a a big moment and is probably worthy of of being a solo event, especially since. Survivor Series now has taken a couple of steps back that WWE needs that fourth big major event. Um, obviously, right. it's not big enough to do anything in Las Vegas this year, but you know, it's it's definitely a, a talking point for sure. Um, but I kind of miss it not being at WrestleMania. It, it it adds to it added for that stretch of time where it was there. It added an extra era of ex- era of excitement for the uh, WrestleMania card at large. Yeah, especially with the two nights now, like there's plenty of room for it, not feeling mm-hmm. jammed in. Uh, or at least do, like they did it, WrestleMania 31 and 32, where they did the like title match, ladder match with the multi-year Yeah, yeah. title match, yeah. Yep, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So even if you did something like that, could be cool. Mm. 
Um, all right, we move along. We get our Hall of Fame recap video presentation of the class of the stadium. Howard Finkel comes out to do introductions. We then go backstage where Todd Grisham is talking to Snoop Dogg. He's enjoying WrestleMania and talks about his job later tonight. Says he found someone who loves everything the same as him. And we see Festa standing there just staring. Santino, of course, comes in and kisses infamous Snoopy the dog and says he will be at the Playboy match as well. And if Snoopy tries funny business, but then Snoop rings the bell and Festus wakes up and chases off Santino. Snoop tells us he got the bell from his friend McFizzle. And uh, in comes McFoley, who says to have a nice dizzle. And Mr. Sacco's dressed in chains. Pretty usual uh, funny Santino stuff with the Snoopy the dog. And uh, we get the annual McFoley WrestleMania thumbs up pop. So business as usual backstage here with these guys. Brings us to our next match, Scott. Why don't you uh, set us up? All right. We uh, get our usual uh, brand versus brand match here. Uh, on the February 25th Raw, William Regal read a letter from Vicky Guerrero in which she challenged Regal to a Raw versus SmackDown match at WrestleMania. Regal then chose Umanga as his representative for Raw, as he called him, Umanga. On the February 29th SmackDown in a backstage segment, Batista told Vicky Guerrero that he wanted to represent SmackDown against Umaga at WrestleMania with Vicky agreeing to the offer. On the March 10th Raw, uh, William Regal did an in-ring promo discussing the WrestleMania bout between Batista and Umaga and introducing a video package on Umaga. After bringing Umaga out, Regal cut a promo on Batista until Batista appeared. Uh, the two, uh, he and Umaga brawled until Batista cleared the ring with Umaga then being held back by Regal and referees. So pretty quick build for this one. Uh, Red Brand versus Blue Brand, JR. All right, let's head to the ring then for that match. Teddy Long and William Regal are in the ring to preside over this interbrand match. Feels like a step back. I thought after the two huge years these guys had, uh, I guess it's similar to like I was saying with MVP and Jericho. Like, I mean, Batista just had a monster of seven. Umaga mm-hmm. was awesome all year. Uh, and they kind of got left with no real issue. So they just stick them in this thing. And I'm not against the match, but it would have been cooler if like there was a reason beyond just SmackDown versus Raw. Uh, I think it would have been nice if they actually, like, led into an organic storyline with them. And they could have done it naturally at the Rumble or, like, something out of the ch- one of the Chamber matches. Does have big house war potential, though. Get a usual awesome Batista entrance. Regal does the introductions to Umaga and calls him Umanga in all his glory. Just a good vibe to get us going. We get some heavy blows from both as King talks about the added brand supremacy pressure on the line. Batista plows Umaga to the floor where he regroups. Umaga returns, gets a nice spin heel kick, knocks Batista outside with a big foot to the face. That looks like it hurt. Umaga shoves him back inside, gets two on a splash, and then gets to work on the back. Some hard whips to the corner, some basic strikes. The crowd starts to fade a bit as Umaga goes to a nerve hold. Batista escapes and tries to slam, but his back gives out and he collapses. Umaga keeps working the back and goes to the nerve hold again as we start to splutter. Batista breaks out, and Umaga smushes him with a Samoan drop for a near fall. Batista blocks a whip and starts to make a comeback, but the crowd has turned on him and is cheering Umaga's cutoffs. Umaga eats a boot on a charge and loads the spike, but Batista blocks it to more boos. Umaga charges. Batista throws him into the post and then finishes him off with a spine buster and pretty impressive Batista bomb where he actually falls backwards due to the momentum. And that is that. I know this is kind of disappointing, uh, Given their great performances over the past 14 months, this felt like a letdown. It was sluggish, too many rest holds. Uh, they went, instead of going at the fast clip that they've been using their matches, that's what we've been loving out of them all this time. You know, Batista having these sprints with Undertaker, these power, you know, huge bombs. Umaga just murdering guys, flying along at, you know, eight, nine-minute matches. And this just felt like they really just 
kind of threw in the towel. I don't know if they were pissed or what, or just an off night. Uh, the crowd also turning on Batista was kind of interesting. And I like the finish. That was cool. But the rest was just kind of off. So, Scott, I went two and a quarter. This was disappointing. I don't know. Could Batista have been used anywhere else here? Like, do you have anything else in mind? Or is it just this was a good spot that didn't click? Uh, you know, I gave this a two. I was very bummed out. Your match time was 7.03, but it felt longer. And that's and that's not a compliment. Right. That's not really um, it, it was it was a slog. Uh. This goes back. I'm going to make an interesting theory here, and this kind of goes to what Tim was saying earlier about the same kinds of guys in Money in the Bank. Why not skip this match? How about you do this? Take Jericho and MVP out of the Money in the Bank. Um, give them a match and put Batista mm-hmm. and Umaga in the Money in the Bank. Why is it always got to be like little tiny guys in the Money in the Bank? Why can't there be like big- I still feel like you're marginalizing them, though, by doing that because – I know you can't reward everyone, especially with the money in the bank on the on the card. And maybe this is why Tim they eventually moved it off. But I don't know. It just feels like, and you can't give it to another title match. So I get it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of stuck on what they could have done with these guys. Yeah, I mean, but you're right. I mean, more. I mean, Umaga spent. It was nice because you know he opened the year, uh, you know, being champ and getting mm-hmm. the or you know uh, feuding with Cena and having the awesome match at the Rumble. Then he's pretty much just Vince's muscle during the whole uh, uh, Lashley stuff. And then he goes back to being icy champ. And he's, then he's feuding with Triple H. He had an awesome 07. And then, yeah, it just seems like, well, I mean, he's earned to be at the show. But where the fuck do we put him? I don't know. Have him and Batista throw each other around for seven minutes. But then they end up not throwing each other around. We actually right. get. That's the problem. Two, yeah. Yeah. You get Instead of getting, like, what we've gotten from these guys when they faced everybody else in 2007. We get a typical lazy, like there's two types of power matches when you have power guys. You have like what we saw in 07 with Taker and Batista and like Umaga and even Triple H. And instead you get the other end of the spectrum, which is two guys who kind of mangle their way through the motions, going at a very slow, sloggy pace. And uh, you get seven minutes of just, you know, and it sucks because these guys work their asses off. But again, uh, unfortunately, there's no, you know, you can't have participation trophies. Not everybody can get a title shot. Not everybody can win the Rumble. Not everybody can be in the bank. I mean, sometimes you just got to be in something so you're in the big show and get paid. Uh, I know that sounds shitty, but, I mean, it's better than not being on at all, I guess. I don't know, Tim. I, I, I'm i a little – I'm like JR's case. I, I I don't know what to do. Like, I – and I wonder uh, – and I wonder where you could have, you know, stuck either of these guys. Is Batista really being punished? Is Umaga, like, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else you could do with them and not punish them, even though you're really not. It's an interesting, it's you know? an interesting thing with Mania. And, um, you know, doing things in the season view like uh, Marcus and I are doing our dirty war and Scott we've done right. in the past too right makes it stick out a little mm-hmm. bit more too where right. you see guys that had great seasons and then sputter when it comes time for mania like they carried uh the promotion through the summer and fall but then they're kind of out of things to do like Marcus and I when we did 2011-12 we saw like Christian and Mark Henry they were they carried the show through the fall they were awesome 
and then they're not even at Mania or their modulized spots. So it, when you look at it in that view too, it's even more disappointing because you know we started basically essentially with a season. We started at Backlash 07, and Batista was in every big show in loads of great matches, as was Umaga. So it just feels like this is a thing that happens. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I can even sit here and say it was the wrong decision to put them together. I, I think it just didn't hit. I don't know. Tim, what do you think? What do you think, Tim? Uh, I went to on this as well. It was very disappointing. And I understand like the WWE logic of it where there is no place for Umaga and Batista on the card, but they're big enough stars and they should get recognized for on at WrestleMania for, for the work that they've done. Um, it's just unfortunate that even in 2007, we really didn't care about brand supremacy, and yet it's still something that they tried to shove down our throats today um, mm-hmm. for for an entire pay-per-view. Um, going back to this, this theory crafting of reimagining WrestleMania 24, even if you pull Jericho and MVP out, that can be your match for brand supremacy because they're champions on either brand. Correct. Um, I like the idea of Umaga getting put in Money in the Bank, but that leaves where Batista is. I'm curious if with Rey Mysterio's injury earlier in, or in late 06, um, or not 06, when, is he, when does he come back? Cause I he feel just like came he's back not- at SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, then he got hurt again in No Way Out. Yeah. 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 So, right. So where does I just feel like Batista's always kind of missing a dance partner unless he's the world champion or he's involved in the title picture because um, yeah. he's just so once he gets put in that main event spot at, at WrestleMania 21, there's no real taking him out of that spotlight. Um, but it's just unfortunate that these two guys didn't really seem like they had much chemistry at all in ring. Mm-hmm. And you, you were mentioning when Scott read the time off, I was like, there's no way this is seven minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right. at half speed. And I, it's, it's, it's definitely a down point on the entire card. Hmm. It's a bummer. All right. Jim Ross and the King tell us the big show and Floyd Mayweather is now anything goes and there must be a winner. And they worry about this for money. We see his camp talking shit backstage. It seemed kind of loose. We get the tail of tape, which is pretty funny. Uh, But that is not our next match. Joey Styles and Taz are with us. They talk about show and money and then set up our ECW title match, which we saw earlier. Kane earned that title shot by winning the battle Royal on the pre-show. Scott, anything else to uh, set up this bout? Uh, well, uh, speaking of that uh, match, it was announced on the March 11th episode of ECW that Armando Estrada, that a uh, 24-man battle royal would be held at WrestleMania to determine the contender to the ECW title, which would be defended later in the show, which, of course, means uh, an epic moment for the brand because it is the first time ever that the ECW championship would be defended at WrestleMania. So pretty big deal there. Um, it's, I have about as many notes as we have length of this match, JR, apparently <laughs> pretty quick. Yeah. Not much anticipation here. Uh, Kane randomly earned that title shot earlier. He has been on a hot streak, but again, this could have been a spot for an up and comer to win that battle Royal and get this big shot here. Like, did it need to be Kane 
And I'm, I'm not saying maybe Kane could have been the guy in the money in the bank and then give this to a youngster that's been working hard to come up, right? Chavo's been milk toast as it gets, even as champion. Uh, Armando Estrada introduces both guys. Chavo gets zero reaction as usual. Joey says, it's the first time the ECW title's ever been defended at WrestleMania. Taz says, I never thought I'd see the day. We get a nice pop for Kane as his music hits, but he enters from behind through the crowd. The bell sounds. Chavo choke slams him, and we are done. Kane is champion. Uh, nothing here, which is fine. We did not need more of Chavo, uh, but it's a waste of a slot. Like, make someone new here. Kane could be doing other stuff. We don't need him steering ECW. Uh, the only positive is Chavo gets squashed. So I want a quarter star. Tim, I, I, I don't know. Like, what else? Who else could have been in Kane's role? Could they have done anything better here? Or just leave the freaking title match off? Like, do we need Chavo defending at all? Maybe stick him in the fucking money in the bag. I don't know. Um. I mean, putting Chavo in Money in the Bank isn't a horrible idea, considering that they've already made sure that the ECW championship meant absolutely nothing because they put Chavo as ECW champion in the mm-hmm. Royal Rumble earlier this year. Uh, well, so, and, and they made Chavo ECW champion, so right. <laughs> that, that'll tell you pretty much. Um, I'll give it. I'll give the match a full star for the simple fact that Kane did what anyone, anyone in their right mind should have done. And that was take Chavo out of a championship match. Um, This match alone should bump Kane up at least 11 points or 11 notches in your GWWE revisited one for every second the match took. Um, So wherever he is just add 11 and that's where his rank actually should be for doing us the favor and getting rid of Chavo as ECW champion. Um, but yeah, Kane, Kane's a, a, a staple in WWE. He needs, he, he, there is a place for him on the card. Um, I mean, if you move Chavo again, revisioning this card, you move Chavo to the money in the bank and you free up Kane, you could do Kane Batista and you put Umaga and money in the bank and that's your match and you just find a way to get to it. Um, that's a kind of a neat storyline that Batista would go back to back brothers of destruction into consecutive WrestleManias. But again, it's all kind of water under the bridge or over the bridge or no bridge at all, but. Or wash out the bridge. I think I would listen to all these options. I think I would take, I think I would take Jericho and MVP out of the money, in the bank, put Kane and Chavo in. Do yeah, Jericho versus Kane's... MVP one on one, and keep Batista Umaga and just hope they do better. <laughs> like I just think like, that's the best options. Guys, try just whatever it is, <laughs> or maybe put a step in there for something. You know what I mean? Like maybe whatever the hell it is, even like, with the title shot. You go back Winter to like the picture, Survivor. Yeah. yeah, the Survivor Series where like the winning team got to be like GM for a day back yeah or maybe they can maybe they can switch shows if they want maybe it's not like that like the winner gets to decide if they want to switch shows and get a television just give put a little something on the line to make it stakes you know right instead of just mm. right at least can we print a tr- 3d print a trophy or something that like there's right. not even anything it's just kind of pomp and circumstance and like yay batista did it for his brand cool hmm and it might have been a yeah, tradition to start started every year. You know, they could have started a tradition to have like a red and blue trophy or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you can still yeah. have Matt come back 
as well and cost MVP with Jericho if you want. I mean, right. you could do something there. I guess mm. the only issue there is that you bloat the card a little bit more because Kane Chavo is only eight seconds and you assume Jericho MVP would go longer than that, but um, he can find a way. Mm. All right. Uh, backstage, Carlito and Maria are eating an outdoor restaurant. Carlito talks shit on Santino and gets attacked by seagulls. I'm sorry, this isn't backstage. This is like a WrestleMania ad. And then he beats the shit out of the seagull, uh, which I, yeah. it was kind of funny. He's like covered in feathers and then tries to flirt again. Yeah. Uh, we then we then get Raven and Simone in the ring uh, for a special Make-A-Wish fulfillment, a record with over 50 kids from 50 states in attendance. We see them. They get a nice little ovation. We then get a recap package for our next match, including the Ric Flair tribute video. And then we see Mike Adamley interviews Ric Flair. It looks great in his new jacked-up robe. And Flair's game plan is to be the man. That's all he's got. Simple. Uh, so, Scott, why don't you take us through the tale that set up our career-threatening match? Yes. Just uh, just to add, I, I didn't get a chance to – not that I have much to say on the previous match. I also gave oh, it a quarter right. star. Yeah. That's all right. I have 11 seconds. Three seconds matters, but I'm just going to agree with everything yeah, you guys whatever. said. So don't worry about it. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> all right. So – uh, big deal here, Jr. Big deal. And Tim, mm-hmm. Mr. McMahon declared back in late November of 2007 that the next singles match that Ric Flair lost would be his last. He would be forced to retire after that loss. And then he would what? He would defeat uh, uh, MVP at the Royal Rumble. He would defeat uh, Kennedy at No Way Out. Uh, on the February 18th Raw, Shawn Michaels came to the ring and announced Ric Flair as the first inductee into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the next week, Ric Flair appeared, praised Michaels, and then said he wanted to wrestle Michaels at WrestleMania. Uh, Michaels came out and said that he couldn't live with himself being the man that retired Flair. Flair responded by saying Michaels' compliments mean nothing if he didn't get the chance to earn them by facing Michaels on the biggest stage. Michaels then agreed to the match, the two men shaking hands with Michaels holding the ropes open for Flair. On the March 3rd Raw, Michaels told Flair he didn't want to face him at WrestleMania anymore because he was too conflicted over being the man that ended Flair's career. Michaels then said if Flair continued to push him for the match, Michaels would win, with Michaels then walking off and leaving Flair alone in the ring. The following week, Flair asked for Michaels to come out. Then Flair told Michaels he saw sympathy in Michaels' eyes the previous week and said if he couldn't hang with the top guys, then he didn't want to be part of the show. Flair then said on a good day he could beat Michaels and said he wanted Michaels at his absolute best for their match at WrestleMania. Sean said they would steal the show, agreed, and shook Flair's hand. On March 17th, Flair was scheduled for a street fight with Mr. McMahon in a backstage segment. Flair said he would beat Michaels at WrestleMania, and he didn't want Michaels' help later in the show against McMahon and then walked off. During the match, Sean appeared ringside at the six-minute mark and pulled the referee out of the ring as McMahon covered Flair with the referee then ejecting Michaels from ringside. Ric Flair pinned Vince with a splash off the top through a table in the ring. Uh, On March 24th, uh, the Go Home episode, Flair... A Ric Flair music video played to the tune of Fuels Leave the Memories Alone Behind, which is, of course, the uh, the the tribute vignette that JR mentioned. Spanning his entire career, which always gets me very emotional. Several of Flair's children were shown then sitting ringside, including um, one that we recognize now. Uh, later in the evening, Flair in the ring said he had lost respect for Michaels for having interfered in his match the week before. Then had Michaels come out. Michaels praised Flair uh, before Flair cut him off and pulled out the NWA World Heavyweight title, Sweet Charlotte that he won back in 1981 and said he needed Michaels to bring out the best in him. After Michaels said he would bring his best, Flair shook his hand. Michaels then compared Flair to old Yeller and said he would put him out of his misery at Mania. Flair unbuttoned his shirt reportedly, uh, repeatedly slapped Michaels 
and dared him to take him out behind the woodshed and put him down with Michaels repeating his statement and leaving ringside. So uh, it definitely got very tepid in the beginning and then definitely fired up big time over the last two weeks, JR. All right. Well, we're going to dive right in now. Interesting match here, given Flair's story, his Hall of Fame induction, Sean's WrestleMania record. It was feeling pretty obvious Flair was done. So really coming in, it almost feels like out of the gate, the match is going to be more about the performance. Uh, Flair hasn't really been given the chance to deliver a big classic in a while either. So one last chance to crush one on the way out. This felt like a natural natural progression and spot for Sean, given the history. Flair wanted to prove he could still go. But I could see the argument. I remember this being a big debate at the time. Uh, that someone else could have been a made man if they ended Flair's career. I think the same debate we'd get, you know, half a decade later or whatever with uh, the streak. But uh, I get why they went with Sean here. Great interest is here. Sean feels a little more subdued and focused. Flair marches the aisle, soaking it in. Looks amazing in his big, uh, luxurious robe. Lots of hype as we get to the bell and get rolling. We ease into things trading a whole. Holds Ric Flair controls a bit, feeling himself as Sean looks frustrated. Flair's definitely pissed about Sean's comments during the buildup. He gives a shove. He barks at Sean. Uh, but Sean cracks him with a slap and busts Flair's lip open, which is a cool moment. Flair comes back with some stiff chops and things open up. Sean makes his first mistake and Flair gets two on a cross body off the top. And King marks out and the move actually worked. Uh, Flair traps Sean and starts to work the leg, but Sean kicks him to the floor and keeps him there. Flair stumbles back to the table and... Sean tries to springboard moonsault, but Flair dodges, and Sean bounces off the table first. A gut first, I should say. Just a disgusting spot. Cringeworthy. The way he slams off the edge of the table. Sean barely makes it back inside, and Flair pounces on a damaged midsection, barreling him with chops and strikes, keeping him grounded. Flair gets a great delayed vertical suplex, showing off on his final night. Sean gets a neckbreaker, but can't take advantage. And the crowd is pretty split here, but actually edging toward Flair. Sean dumps Flair outside. This time, hits a moonsault off the top but still splats on the mat. He's pushing through this injury and just being insane. Both guys barely get back in as we reset. Flair's the first up. We go back and forth to chops. Sean puts Flair down, hits the top rope elbow, but he's really hurting. The crowd is on fire here, uh, but full on with Flair. As Sean heats up with sweet chin music, but Flair's slow to get up. As Flair walks over, Sean hesitates. He doesn't want to do the kill shot. So Flair takes him down and goes to the figure four. That was well done. As Flair will do, the other guys won't do to him. Sean hangs on and eventually breaks the hold, but Flair stays in control of chops. We get a chain sequence that felt a little too ambitious as Sean is too fucked up to even bridge up. We get a sunset flip, but no Flair ass. Seemed like the time for one last full moon on him. We don't get it. Uh, Flair hits a chop block. He's doing all he can to stay alive. Sean blocks the figure four with an inside cradle for two. Flair ducks it in Zaguri and this time locks it in. Uh, good tease here is uh, believable. We weave back to the finish. Uh, I should say lots of figure four. Sean fights through it and forces a rope break, pulls himself up just as Flair marches at him. Sean nails Sweet Chin music, but he's slow to cover, and Flair kicks out to a big pop. Sean then loads up Sweet Chin music again, but Flair is slow to get up, so he stops and walks over it and yells at him to get up to his feet. Sean loads it up again, and Flair is still not up, so Sean pulls him up to his feet, allowing Flair to kick him in the nuts. Again, that was well done. Sean gets to figure four, but Flair breaks it with a thumb to the eye. And we get a close near fall on a Ric Flair roll-up. Flair unloads a flurry of chops, but Sean nails him with sweet chin music out of nowhere. But again, he can't cover in time, so instead he pulls himself up, resets in the corner, tearfully loads sweet chin music, says, I'm sorry, I love you, as Flair just begs for him to end it, and Sean does the deed and puts an end on Ric Flair's legendary career. 
After the match, Sean leaves right away, giving Flair his final moment in the ring. The crowd gives him a huge standing ovation. His family's in tears at ringside. Flair weeps and eventually visits his family and walks off. Just an all-time WrestleMania moment. And a really damn good match. A nicely executed dramatic story that proved Flair could still deliver. The structure I thought was a bit shaky, and we kind of ambled through the flow and spots. Sean's rib injury didn't help, but they brought it into the story well enough as it went on. It was a good send-off for Flair. Uh, but to me, the moment outshined the match. The drama from Sean was a bit heavy, as usual. Uh, it's still an iconic moment. The crowd was with him. And I gave it a bump up for a moment and Sean gutting through. But that said, I still went just four stars. I was actually a little disappointed on this a rewatch. Uh, I didn't think it held up as highly as uh, some think. It was still a, a damn good match. The gravity of the moment brings it up. Um but four stars to me, Sean. Uh, Sean, I'm reading the name. Scott, what did you think? And was Sean the right <laughs> choice to end Flair's career for you? Uh, yes. Uh, your uh, your match time twenty thirty four felt like that, and that's that's a compliment. Uh, I gave it four and a quarter. Uh, I do agree that there were some spots that were a little dippy, but uh, I love this match, and obviously it means a lot to me because you know, obviously being a Flair guy, it was very emotional for me. And uh, knowing that this was it, um, Sean was the guy. I mean, the only other guy I could maybe think of if he wasn't doing what he would do later in the night would be Triple H. But they feuded already. And, and that mm-hmm. I think that would have looked because, you know, Triple H is Triple H and he probably would have got shit for it. And it would have felt it wouldn't have felt the same. So um, Sean doing it spares um, any backlash, no pun intended, uh, for who would do it. It had to be done. Um, mm-hmm. He's in the hall at the time. He didn't even know anything, but Flair's in his 60s at that point. Um, but the end was great. And I'm sorry, I love you. will go down as one of the greatest moments in the history of WrestleMania, if not in the history right. of the company. Um, that's Sean. Because no other guy would come up with, with that moment except Sean, who gets, how the, who gets this stage. And, uh, the end was awesome. Uh, the match, I mean, maybe I'm overgrading it a little, but I really do think it was, it was that good. Uh, not a perfect match by any stretch, but I think the best we've seen flair in a few, a couple of years, um, you know, he definitely got up to Sean's level as best he could for 2008 Ric Flair. But it, it, I remember watching it live, and I remember being pretty, uh, uh, pretty uh, teared. Not gonna lie, uh, no more than it, than it would be the next night, which we'll talk about uh, on our next episode, Jr. Um, but Tim, I was, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm overgrading it. I mean, I only give it a quarter star more than I get than Jr. did, but I just think it was a really great match. Sean was definitely the right guy because Sean gets these moments. You can't just have a guy that's going to put on a good match. You got to have a guy that gets what people want to see at that moment on that stage. And there's not many guys in the back. And if there are, they're already booked on something on that night. Sean gets it. And that's why no one else would have thought to say, I'm sorry, I love you. No one. And that made the moment for me. Yeah, you mentioned overgrading. And I'm going to massively overgrade this to the point of I'm giving it five stars. Um, Wow. For the fact of the match and the moment, 
the match was better than it should have been considering Ric Flair's age and even the mishap with Sean and the, the announce table. Um, the match delivered for what it should have been. It had all of the pomp and circumstance of Ric Flair's possible last match, even though the writing was on the wall. Um, even in that match, they still gave you glimpses and hopes that Rick was going to put more time on the clock and actually pull it out. Um, and that is saying something considering that just the day before they put him in the hall of fame. And that was, that was pretty much the nail in the, the coffin of the career of Ric Flair. Um, also part of the reason why I'm giving it five stars is for the influence that this match has on wrestling to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. there's so many wrestlers who are in WWE, AEW, MLW, the independents, wherever, who look at this match as kind of like the Bible of storytelling and whether that's right or wrong. Um, I mean, it also doesn't hurt that Shawn Michaels is in a position of power where he's he's training the next generation of WWE superstars in NXT and his influence showing in Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa and and things like that. Um, But the I'm sorry, I love you is it's an iconic WWE moment. It's a WrestleMania moment, and it's a moment that will outlive flair and michaels and us as long as wrestling is a thing um you can look back to that so just for the influence plus the moment plus the match it's five stars for me it couldn't be much better um i'm i'm a little more forgiving of like nickel and diming on on things that don't work out right because as you said rick flair's in his 60s sean michaels while he's not at his physical prime uh there is something to say where you, you talk about wrestlers and, and what is that? What is wrestler prime where it's where your body isn't as good as it once was, but you can dial it up. But your wrestling mind is so far ahead that you can just make moments happen. And that's where this was for me. Uh, five stars all day, every day. All right. Well, we'll see where Sean goes from here. Todd Grisham is with Edge, who's confident heading into tonight's main event. He'll make history to end the streak. Edge talks about attending WrestleMania 6, being the biggest Hulkamaniac in Canada. But Hogan lost, and Edge lost his innocence. People rely on Undertaker to win a Mania, but that changes tonight when he gets slapped with reality. And there's probably a little kid like him who thinks anything can happen, and he will crush his spirit. I thought this was a great promo by Edge. <laughs> it was really good. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, tying his own experience. We get some halftime fireworks. They've done a nice job resetting the crowd after the emotional flare goodbye and brings us to our next match, which is our Playboy Bunny Mania Lumberjill match, Scott. Yes, on the February 18th Raw, Santina Morella said Maria would be posing for Playboy and then announced she would also be facing Beth Phoenix in a non-title match, which Maria was not informed of. Following Beth's entrance, Morella said he would fi- he found fine print in Maria's Playboy contract that stated she could only pose if she beat Phoenix. Maria pinned Phoenix with a roll-up after the champion became distracted by Candice Michelle, who showed up at ringside, as JR mentioned earlier in the show. She made her return after injury. On February 25th, a video package was played showing Maria's Playboy photo shoot and the announcement the magazine cover would be unveiled the following week. It also included the announcement that Maria and Candice would face WWE Women's Champion Beth Phoenix and Melina at WrestleMania. On the March 3rd Raw, 
Jerry Lawler had an in-ring segment, which Maria and Candice unveiled her Playboy cover. During the segment, it was announced Snoop Dogg would officiate the Maria and Candice first WWE Women's Champion Beth Phoenix and Molina Lumberjell match at WrestleMania. When Maria pulled the curtain off the giant cover, it was shown that Santino had put his face over her face, her chest, and between her legs. Uh, Santino then came out and said he had made up his mind and was taking Maria backstage with him. Maria then said it was her decision with Lawler ultimately knocking Santino to the floor and throwing his vandalized cover poster on top of him. Candice then took the mic and introduced a giant poster of the cover, which was dropped from above the ring. On the March 17th Raw, Candice and Maria defeated Jillian Hall and Victoria. During the match, Candice re-injured her clavicle, of course, her collarbone. Uh, JR knows that I know how that feels, uh, but was able to finish the match. On the following week's Raw, it was announced Candice would not be competing at WrestleMania. She rebroke that collarbone and underwent surgery earlier in the day. Ashley was announced as Candice's replacement. So there you go. All right. Snoop Dogg is a master of ceremonies. He drives a pimped out golf cart to the ring, hmm. followed by all the lumberjack divas. Uh, the only miss here is that we're using a newer Snoop song instead of a classic banger, which I thought would have set the tone a little bit better. Yes. Uh, King says King says bizuggy, and he just needs to go away. No. Uh, very long entrances here. Not much to it. Just very takes a while to drive this thing down to the ring. Snoop does all the intros. He gives a, a shout out to Ric Flair. Marie and Ashley are out to defend the honor of Playboy. We have giant bunny balloons. Kids excited, but no one else seems much into this one. Everything is just taking forever. It's all fluff. Bet the Molina power out. We'll see if they can carry this. Santino leads them out, eats up all the shine, but Molina gets the pop for the split. Snoop sits in a giant throne at ringside as we settle in. Beth starts with Ashley, shoves her down, but Ashley sticks and moves through some soft offense. Beth shoves Ashley to the corner so she can tag her, but Maria gets a couple of double-team shots. Melina tags in. We amble on. Just not much happening. She's the first to get dumped into the Lumberjacks. Maria gets a Bronco Buster to a pop, and they're at least moving at a good pace. Ashley strikes and timing are a mess here. She's just not smooth at all. She does hit a decent X-Factor. She gets mauled by the heel Lumberjacks as this edges along. Beth and Melina try to will Ashley through this, but it's just not clicking for her. The lights dim down at one point. They're working in the dark as everything's falling apart. A spotlight finally flares up as Maria is doing what she can to pull this back together. Maria actually has the match won, but Santino pulls her off. King is fed up. He goes over. He smacks Santino. Beth nails Maria and finishes the match with the Fisherman's Buster. And Snoop lays out Santino afterward and makes out with Maria. Uh, this is a mess. Ashley's a disaster. Uh, the tech issues, this, this never got going. I think they should have done Beth versus Maria or a battle royal. Uh, the women deserve focus, but forcing Ashley into the Playboy stuff uh, led to this mess. And it was unfair to Mickey James, too. Uh, Maria's come far. She looks good comparatively, but this was a mess and the crowd was checked out. So I went one star. And I just feel like, Tim, we really need to recalibrate our expectations of this division to feel the company. Like, what are we doing? Are we pushing the workers? Are we trying to build this as legitimate? Are we still dicking around with this stuff and putting green workers like Ashley out there on the biggest stage to, you know, just not make it happen? Right. You really could have just made this a one-on-one -on -one match and had Melina and Ashley be seconds. Um, but yep. then, like, what's the point of them being seconds when you have all the lumberjacks uh, right. at ringside as well? Um, I'm giving it a half a star. Um Maybe it was a sign from God that the lights went out uh, during this match, um, just because it was not very good at all. It's it's really unfortunate that Candice Michelle was injured 
uh, for this because I feel like if Candice was in the spot of Ashley Massaro for this, this match is so much better because if you recall, Candice had had grown leaps and bounds as an in-ring competitor um, mm-hmm. for the women's division leading up to her injuries. Um, so if she was able to keep it together or, or make it work with like duct tape and spit, she could have made it. She could have made something more of this. Um, but it, it, it's it's a, it's an it's unfortunate. Um, also, uh, has Snoop Dogg ever kissed a girl before? Because that was it was borderline peckish. The uh, moves he was putting on Maria after the match. Mm. Um, but neither here nor there. Um, this match could have been completely removed from WrestleMania and I would have been okay, but you need something to showcase the women. Uh, it's just unfortunate that this is what it was. Was she dating punk at this point still? Oh, I don't know what the, what the, what the love triangle love boat Mm. situation. That's why Snoop laid low, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Or maybe he just didn't want any problem with Mrs. the Dog. Um, <laughs> either way. Mm. Yeah, just like, nah, baby, I'm just going to kiss her real. I'm going to kiss her four good times like a little baby bird. Um, <laughs> but that's about yeah. it. And even beyond Candace, like, there's like a handful of women that could have been in this. You could have done the Maria versus Beth if you want to push the Playboy. You could have done Mickey James, who deserved it. You could have done Melina, who deserved it after a great year. Uh, more like right. you said, returning Candace all would have been superior. Yeah, I mean, even the Lumberjills at ringside, like, you know, you're making it. Pl- the, the problem is, is you're making it Playboy versus not Playboy. So you have to have a Playboy cover girl mm-hmm. in that match. And so it it it's it strategic. It, it, it shortens that list dramatically for who you could get um but even then like maurice is at ringside i mean you don't acknowledge you haven't acknowledged that she would she had done work before but you know if you know you know it's it's out there um but either way uh just unfortunate and it's wwe just really like the plan is the plan and you hold fast to it and we'll just make it work. And luckily it gets, it's luckily in a spot where it's sandwiched between two really solid matches. So it's kind of forgettable. Uh, I gave it a half star. Um, Yeah. They they got to figure out, we we talked about this a lot throughout 07 JR that, uh, they got to figure out what this division's identity is because you've got some really good workers there, and they keep getting tossed aside. And and uh, this was just a pile of crap. Uh, and the crowd was like, "All right, that's nice. They're hot. That's nice." Like it, it wasn't enough anymore. And I think that's a turning point for for WWE to have like just just because they're hot, let's give them some shit to throw around because they don't really you know the fans don't care if they actually wrestle a match yeah they kind of (laughs) do and uh this proved it because uh um the crowd was not into it even though they all were quite provocative so um your time i don't think i think it wasn't very long let's see um that match was 
five minutes even felt like 50 but <laughs> but uh but yeah it uh it was kind of a mess there was no need for it unfortunately but such it was i think uh vince needed to see and and, and the company needed to see the the fact the fans could care less about just having hot women wrestle and mm-hmm. be bad at it you know so all right, uh, we get a recap package for our next match, which is the WWE title triple threat match. And Scott, why don't you uh, tell us how this one got here? Uh, all right, well, uh, the February 18th, uh, oh, hold on, there we go. Oh, okay, same thing. On February 18th, Raw, uh, Triple H did an in-ring promo regarding his Elimination Chamber win at No Way Out and his WWE world title shot at WrestleMania 24. Moments later, WWE champion Randy Orton appeared and said that Triple H had always been jealous of him, even back in 2004 when Orton won his first world title. John Cena then appeared and said Orton's title run would come with an asterisk as he was the first champion to lose his way into a WrestleMania main event and then challenged Orton to a title rematch later in the show with the winner facing Triple H at Mania. William Regal then appeared and said it would be Cena versus Orton later in the show in a non-title match with Triple H as the guest ref. Cena would earn a shot in the WrestleMania main event alongside Triple H and Orton if he were to win. In the main event, Cena pinned Orton after hitting an FU. He had a confrontation with guest referee Triple H prior to the pin. After the match, Triple H dropped Cena with a pedigree before doing the same to Orton. He then posed with the belt as the show came to a close. The following week, on February 25th, Regal had the fir- had the three pose for group photos to promote the upcoming match and then gave all three mics so they could give their comments on the match. After Cena and Triple H made mention of their WrestleMania 22 match, which Cena won. Orton made mention that he had fended off the challenge of both men, with Cena and Triple H then teaming up on Orton and throwing him over the top before brawling with each other. Orton slid back inside the ring, dropped both men with an RKO, and held the title belt in the air. Starting on the March 3rd Raw, each uh, each man would be in control of one Raw episode, and on this week it was Cena's uh, turn to start. He would make the main event a match between Triple H and Orton, which ended in no contest when Cena attacked Triple H. After the match, Orton dropped Cena with the RKO and held the title belt on the air as we came to a close. The next week, March 10th, was Orton's Raw. He made matches of Triple H versus Kane and Cena versus Shawn Michaels. Triple H won his match against Kane and stared down Orton when he appeared on the ramp after the match. Michaels and Cena fought to a no contest when Orton interfered and threw Michaels into the ring post as the two men battled on the floor. Orton attempted to drop Cena with an RKO onto a steel chair in the ring, and Cena then dropped Orton across the chair instead. Backstage, Triple H appeared and announced that since he was in charge for the following week's show, Cena and Orton would face the entire Raw roster the following week. On March 17th, Triple H said that if either Cena or Orton walked out of their tag team match later in the show, they'd be out of the Mania main event. And if Orton walked out, then he would be stripped of the title and Cena and Triple H would fight for a vacant title at Mania. When Regal asked why Triple H just didn't strip him of the title since he was in charge, Triple H said there was no satisfaction in that and he wanted to win it in the ring. That's babyface Triple H. Cena and Orton fought in a 17-on-2 handicap elimination match, which ended in no contest when Triple H came out as a prize participant and dropped both Cena and Orton with pedigrees before posing with the title belt as the show went off the air. So quite a bit going on between all these, uh, these three back and forth to take us to our triple threat match, JR for the WWE championship. It's a big match. One that's been built for a year or so between Cena's wars with Orton, the injury, Triple H's return, him battling all the way back. Orton takes the top slot with them both tied up or on the sidelines. This felt like the three top dogs on Raw. 
stepping up and, and going to war here. We get a full ma- marching band in the aisle playing America and then swapping into My Time Is Now for John Cena's entrance, an all-time entrance. Great stuff for Big Pop. Uh, Hunter gets a Big Pop as well. He's got his usual entrance. And then Orton's very basic and straightforward. He's focused, and it shows his growth in this. Quick start is uh, Triple H gets decked, and Cena tries to hustle through Orton. The sun is completely set now, so we have a cool vibe going with a spotlit ring. Great pace continues to trading off control. The first big spot comes at Orton tries to, uh, some sorry, Cena tries a double stack FU, but Hunter slips off and kicks him low. It's a nice tease. Orton tries to pick his spot where he can, and he's able to snap down Hunter and get to work. The crowd's engaged, but all sorts of dueling chants are going down. Orton has both guys down. He tries to end it. Eventually gets caught on top by Cena. Gives us a big doomsday device on Cena, but Cena rolls through for the cover. Deadlifts Orton and loads up the FU. Kicks Hunter low, but Orton slows down to a sunset flip. Just a tremendous flurry and a great pace. Orton lands a double-hanging DDT on both guys, uh, but only gets two. Some really innovative stuff from these dudes here. Cena mounts a comeback with a blockbuster on Hunter and a top rope guillotine leg drop on Orton as the crowd is fully turning on him. Hunter takes out the knee of Orton and gets to work while Cena's down and out. Cena sneaks in and gets the STFU on Orton, but he hangs on until Hunter makes a save. Hunter comes in and keeps the pressure on the knee, but Cena comes in and takes him out. Goes back to the STFU. Hunter comes in and gets Cena at a crossface. A really cool sequence there of near um, submissions. The crowd is revved up for a big Cena-Hunter slugfest center of the ring. Cena wins that to booze, but Hunter comes right back. They're trading shots as Orton continues to be able, un, do, unable to do much because of his knee. Hunter counters to the nephew into a pedigree to a pop. But Orton saves by hitting the punt and then covers Cena to steal the win and retain his title. Uh, pretty surprising. I thought the finish was a little clunky and anticlimactic. You could see Cena looking for Orton to save uh, and then being passed out on the second cover. It might have been better if Orton just kicked him too. Uh, but Orton winning this was a great legitimizing moment. Like You definitely thought coming in Cena or Triple H would win. Uh, I don't think anyone thought Orton was going to retain here. A really good flow. There's some innovation throughout this. It felt big time. It was a good atmosphere. Uh, and there's still some juice in this as well. It was good enough to go right back to Cena after. So, Scott, I went three and three quarters. I think this is kind of an overlooked match at times. It, it was uh, pretty enjoyable. Do you think Orton was the right choice to win here? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I give it a 14-10, uh, your match time. Uh, I gave it uh, I gave it seven and uh, three and three quarters, just like you. Uh, yeah, Orton, you know, it wasn't the main event. I don't know if that pissed them off. <laughs> but Cena, maybe after two straight years of being the last match and, uh, you know, the team, the, ma- the the world title match above him uh, got a little juice. Um, you know, Cena this time, you know, is is not in the main event, although you can call it a mega main event, I suppose. Uh, but, but why not let Orton keep it? Like, why not? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you want you don't want to take away from the, the bigger match that will happen later in the night. Um, Orton earned it. I mean, we've talked about it, Jr. Show after show after show after show, how much Randy Orton has grown up, uh, pretty much since we've restarted in at Backlash 07 and feuding with Sean and beating the shit out of RVD and then Cena and uh, you know kind of being a douche and how we got the title and then fucking around with Sean and beating Jer- like just everything going on has it's has, easily been my one of my favorites and like yeah yeah I d- talk about this on No Holds Barred. Uh, with Aaron, where we're going through our GWE stuff, like Orton is greatly climbing my um, list. And this run here is a big part of it. Like he is yeah. fantastic in 07, 08. No, he is matured. He's not that, uh, he doesn't have that frat boy douche fuck way anymore. Uh, he has definitely earned the right to walk 
in and walk out as WWE champion on this great stage team. Uh, I gave it three and three quarters. The match was a lot of fun. I agree with you about the end. Like, it, it, you know, you, you always go back. When you think of shitty endings, you always go back to Triple H and Booker at 19. It's like, how long was Cena going to be out? Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, I yeah, that's why I think Orton should have just kicked both of them, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think he should have punted both of them. Um, other than that, Tim, I thought it was an awesome match and a great moment for Orton. I do, too. I... Uh... I, I've always I, I remember watching this event with uh, Marcus, uh, the guest from 604, and uh, it was really awesome to see that Cena and Triple H had won the match before the bell, but Orton wins the match after the bell. Um, Cena has an all time entrance. I'm a mark for marching bands. I popped for uh, Bianca when she had hers at uh, this year's WrestleMania. Cena's marching band entrance is, is stellar. Uh, Triple H with the 360 panoramic entrance uh, camera. Uh, but Orton doesn't need all the flashy stuff. He just gets in there and gets the job done. Um, I completely agree with uh, Triple H's pedigree uh, causing another person to lay motionless for, for Infinity. Um, as... John Cena is down waiting for the punt to take place. He looks over and he sees Booker mm-hmm. T still laying down from 19. Um, just, <laughs> just hanging out right next to him. <laughs> and it's it's crazy. But I, I like the punt finish. Um, before the RKO was out of nowhere, that punt was like the move, like the kill move in WWE. And... Uh, for it to to pay off in in this uh, aspect, it, it worked for me. Orton was definitely catching his stride, and um, having the marquee victory over Triple H and John Cena at WrestleMania uh, solidifies him even more uh, beyond where he was already kind of a made man, but kind of erased after his. Uh, his christening at uh, SummerSlam against uh, Stevie Richards. All right, we have uh, no fluff in between here. We go right to our next match, which is a big one, our big celebrity match, Scott. Yes, uh, of course, this match started at No Way Out uh, the, week, the month before in Vegas when the big show appeared after the Edge Ray Mysterio match and cut an in ring promo, being back in the WWE and said it was only a matter of time before he became a champion again. Show then went out to the floor and held Mysterio in front of Floyd Money Mayweather, who was at ringside. Show rolled Mysterio back inside the ring, held him in a choke as Mayweather's entourage held him back. Mayweather eventually jumped in the uh, uh, jumped the rail and was held back by his men until Show took off his jacket and got down on one knee to let Mayweather have one free shot. Mayweather landed a number of blows to Show's face, with one actually busting his nose before Mayweather ran into the crowd with Show chasing him and his men. Uh, that was kind of a cool moment, actually. The two would come face-to-face on February 25th at the WrestleMania 24 press conference. On the February 29th SmackDown, Show cut an in-ring promo saying there would be no chance Floyd Mayweather would face Oscar De La Hoya in September because he would squash Mayweather at WrestleMania. Show then said Mayweather's pay for the match, $20 million, wouldn't be worth it. On, May, on uh, March 3rd, the Big Show pinned Brandon Hill in an MMA exhibition match with Mayweather watching the fight from Vegas. After the match, Show cut an in-ring promo. Mayweather speaking to him uh, on the big screen and said Mayweather would need the $20 million that he was being paid for the fight 
because he would need to retire. Mayweather responded and said that he would break Show's jaw. Show lifted Hill and press slammed him to the floor as a message. On March 10th, an in-ring, uh, an in-ring weigh-in was featured on the show, uh, Mayweather match. Uh, after the weigh-in, Show introduced his posse of WWE talent from Raw, SmackDown, and ECW to balance Mayweather's group. Show then cut a promo on how the WWE talent didn't like Mayweather for how much he was getting paid and suggested Mayweather throw some of that money to the crowd so they don't hate him as much. Show then implied he would end Mayweather's career should he choose to. Mayweather then took a mic, uh, smelled a handful of cash, and said he didn't respect Show as a person and threw cash at Show who then handed it to his entourage at ringside. Mayweather then said he would break Show's jaw, with Show then press slamming the boxer onto several wrestlers at ringside, kind of reminding us of Thunderlips and Rocky, erupting into a uh, big brawl between the WWE talent and Mayweather's group. It was later announced that Mayweather suffered an elbow injury during the scuffle following the weigh-in. Finally, the March 17th Raw featured a video package on Mayweather focusing on his rough upbringing, amateur boxing career, getting a bronze medal at the 1996 Olympics and his pro career during the package Mayweather was seen with a replica of the million dollar belt and said he wanted the WWE world title so there we go celebrity match time it's a big one a lot of hype he talked it all up uh you know the interesting little double flip here is they moved money to a heel I think that made a lot of sense the crowds were turning on him anyway uh Big Show looks great as he marches down the biggest match of his career really and there's a great buzz around it uh, this match is now anything goes. Great entrance for Mayweather. Money falling from the sky. He stressed out with his entourage. King and JR do a nice job putting over Floyd as a megastar as they should. Feels big time. It's great to get right into things. No BS. No parading. They step up. The bell rings. And we go right into it. JR and King doing a nice job selling every aspect of this match. Uh, Mayweather dances and moves a lot here. Playing defense as usual. Trying to bait show. They square up and money lands a shot to the jaw. The show just shrugs off. Show tries to land punches, but Money dodges and counters. The show starts to show some frustration. Money takes a drink from his chalice, but Show charges over and slugs one of his crew members, drags him in the ring, and chops the shit out of his chest. Mayweather looks a little bit more concerned now. He tries to punch, but Show blocks him, wrestles his hand to the mat, and tries to stomp it, but Mayweather pulls it away to dodge. Show grabs Mayweather by the neck, puts him on the middle rope, but Mayweather slugs free and jumps on Show's back and chokes him. Show starts to fade a bit as he can't get Mayweather off him, but he finally does flip him to the mat. And this time he does stomp hard on his hand. And Mayweather's freaking out, bails to the corners. Cruz checking his hand, of course. That's his big moneymaker, that right hand. Uh, he's barking at Show. Good stuff. Show drags money up and chops the shit out of him. His manager keeps yelling, yeah, do that. Show stands on Mayweather's back. He's feeling himself. He's in full control. Money comes back, but Show pulls him up and hits a big sidewalk slam to ooze. Show keeps battering the arm. He steps on it, slams it down. The crowd is in on show as he's mimicking Hulk Hogan. But Money gets pulled up by his crew and he starts to leave as his manager says, we out. Show chases him down and cleans out the crew and drags Mayweather back to the ring. Back inside, Show loads up the choke slam, but one of the crew members comes in and sl Show slugs him down. Show then hoists Mayweather up by his neck, but another crew member comes in, smashes Show with a chair. Show choke slams him, but Mayweather grabs a chair and lays into Show a few times. Show then shrugs him off, but Mayweather goes low and unloads more chair shots to the head. Mayweather grabs a chain with knucks off his body's neck and decks Show with a huge right hand and wins the match by knockout. Uh, in all time, classic celebrity match, perfectly executed, played into Mayweather's strengths. Show is masterful, too. The end protects him as well, as money needed all sorts of artillery to beat him. The only nitpick, I guess, is Mayweather swinging heel and Show not being a super hot face. So the crowd was kind of out of sorts and in the end, like, booed most of the match. 
Uh, money doing heel stuff, though, and then winning with no comeuppance, you know, that played into that, too. Maybe they were better served to putting a, more of an overface with Mayweather to keep him his face and keep show as a giant. Uh, but with that said, it's an all-time template celebrity match and really the gold standard, Tim. I went four stars. And uh, do you feel to this point, WrestleMania 24 was it the best celebrity match to date? I also went four, but this is a five-star celebrity match. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it wasn't until we get to Bad Bunny at WrestleMania right. that uh, the template even gets close to being touched. Um, Money Mayweather is a WWE superstar level character, and he fit perfectly in Vince's cartoon wrestling world. Um, and big kudos to the big show for being the conductor of all of the craziness with, you know, the money team and, and, and Mayweather making it all work out and work together for the good of the match. Um, it definitely exceeded certain expectations of mine then and now. Uh, I can see, and I can appreciate your point in regards to the, cloud of uncertainty with the fans in regards to mm-hmm. who's who's where what allegiance is it's both sides on especially with just money mayweather being a a character that you you love to hate it, it's kind of hard to root for mayweather outside of a boxing ring and even when he's in one you still kind of want him to get his block knocked off um but all in all I thought the match was great. I thought that the finish was fantastic with the the brass knucks on the chain um, leading to the knockout. It's the only believable way. And uh, a lot of people will point to the Undertaker streak at WrestleMania being uh, a big thing. But uh, Money Mayweather's undefeated streak was on the line here, too. And uh, good to see him put another W in the win column for the Money team. Uh, I gave it a three and a half. Uh... It went uh, actually pretty long for a celebrity match, 1140. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you say Bad Bunny, but we're talking even like Knoxville earlier this year. Like, you know, putting this actually was more entertaining than the fucking Lumberjill match. Um, I mean, maybe you put Snoop Dogg with money. I don't know. because He's already there. But yeah, the, the, the heel face thing was definitely confusing because Mayweather's just like that. He's a fucking jerk off. So, I mean. Yeah, it's a really, you know, you, I, I don't know who you could get there to to kind of temper that. But well, I think Ray uh, Ray was kind of the answer with that they were trying for. Then he got hurt. But honestly, right. I don't know if Ray even would have done it because he was already getting booed at the Rumble. So I yeah, pretty, pretty I much. Don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And either. I think it wasn't it supposed to be like a tag match too. Wasn't it supposed to be like Big Show and Mayweather versus Ray and De La Hoya or something? Like, I feel like there that was part of what it might have been too. I kind of remember, remember that, uh, Tim, but I also think that there was way too much, like, I think, uh, gold, you know, like all of the, you know, investors and stuff for the fighter. Like, you can't have these two guys actually in a wrestling match and fucking all this shit up. And so right. I do remember that rumor coming about, but I think they were fine with one guy in a, this, like, wrestling match. But to have both guys and who knows what the fuck will happen. And so I, I do kind of remember that rumor being discussed but i think it was mostly money that that uh you know curtailed that but i mean having said that it was fine i mean it was definitely you know there's definitely some shoot shots there um 
the fact that he needed brass knucks to knock him out, you know, keep show strong, even though, you know, uh, even though, uh, you know, I still find it, I'm still not a fan of him losing, but I get it that, you know, he, um, you know, it took some help to do it, but I mean, it was fine. I, I, I didn't hate it, but I'm not a big Mayweather. I mean, I, the crowd has seemed to have been like all over the place tonight emotionally, like who to root for, who to not root for. And there's another case like I don't think I think they were a little lost on where to go with this. But in terms of just like as a standalone match or, you know, for a celebrity match, it actually was not that bad. But I think the crowd was a little confused and not sure where to go. But um, the right guy probably got over, but it was definitely confusing for the fans to figure out who they actually were supposed to be rooting for. Their WWF guy or this boxing interloper, you know, it, it definitely was confusing. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone would have been better on the spot than Show. I mean, Show was great in No Way Out, the whole build and this. I mean, he was right. It, it's just he just wasn't over enough as a face to like really hammer this home. But right, regardless, it's still a classic and a yes. great celebrity match. Yes. All right. We get the uh, WrestleMania ad with Batista. I guess they were really in love with these ads to keep running them throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian comes out, reveals the attendance, 74,635, a new record, as we talked about earlier. And then we get a hype package for our main event, Scott. It's the big one. Uh, The last match of the night, the last big title of the night. Uh, The dead man, the Undertaker, won his shot at the World Heavyweight Championship by winning the Chamber match at No Way Out. On the February 22nd SmackDown, Edge did an in-ring promo with Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins where he spoke of the Undertaker's undefeated WrestleMania streak and claimed he would end it. Moments later, the lights went off, and when they came back on, Taker was in the ring. He fought them all three guys off and chased, uh, cleared the ring. On February 29th, Taker beat Zack Ryder. After the match, Edge and Hawkins attacked Taker till he scared Edge from the ring and hit the choke slam on Hawkins as Edge watched from the floor. Then Taker locked uh, the same submission hold on Hawkins with Hawkins then coughing up blood and held Edge's title belt in the air as the show came to a close. On March 14th, Edge, Chavo Guerrero, Zack Ryder, and Kurt Hawkins defeated Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair in a steel cage handicap match uh, when Edge escaped over the top of the cage as The Undertaker, who appeared in the ring during the closing moments, laid out Edge's partner inside the ring. And on March 21st, The Undertaker beat Chavo in a non-title match. After the match, Taker fought off Edge, Hawkins, and Ryder until he sustained Stained Edge's spear. Moments later, all three assaulted Taker with steel chairs before Edge knocked Taker out with the chair shot to the face. Edge then had Hawkins and Ryder hold Taker down as he delivered a concerto to end the show. Uh, pretty good build and long, long awaited. It's been going on since mm-hmm. pretty much a year uh, to get to this point. And here we are. It's an interesting one. Uh, a great feud already with some big salvos. Edge gets his mania main event slot finally. Taker with a chance to regain the gold and keep the streak. First time closing Mania since WrestleMania 13. Undertaker enters first, gets his usual full dog and pony show. Crowd is all in on it. Nice job by Cole running through Taker's WrestleMania hit list. Edge getting the closing entrance here. Just shows you how far he's come as a top guy, and it's well earned. Feels like he earned the role. Taker starts hot with some strikes, keeping Edge off balance, hammering away at a bit of a methodical pace. Taker works the arm, as Coach says. Taker crafts his attack specifically for Mania each year. Edge tries to counter, but Taker pushes through them and keeps striking. Edge finally knocks Taker to the floor to buy a breath as Taker starts to favor his back. Very slow start here. Edge keeps Taker grounded on the floor, nailing the back, nailing the neck in the ring. 
as well. Edge batters the next and Morsa kicks and elbows. The crowd feels restless here as we edge along. Taker knocks Edge off the top of the floor to buy some time. Taker uh, wastes, wakes things up a bit with a tope outside. Then we head back in, tries the last ride, but his back slows him up and Edge slugs him down to take back over. Outside Edge backdrops Taker on the barricade. He tumbles into the crowd. Edge continues to smash the back as Coach puts over his attack and his strategy. We slow things down with a half crab, and the crowd is kind of teetering. It's been a long night. Taker comes back. We get a slugfest. Takes over some heavy blows. Taker hits snake eyes, but Edge blocks the boot. And it's a leg lariat to counter in a nice spot. Edge counters take, uh, countering Taker's big spots has been a good story throughout the match. Edge counters a choke slam with an impaler. Gets two. Taker blocks a spear and crunches Edge with a choke slam for two. Taker tri- uh, follows with trying for old school, but Edge blocks that and crotches him. Takes him down to superplex. The crowd isn't biting much, though. Taker finally snatches Edge for the last ride, but Edge counters again and hits a neckbreaker for two. Taker fights back and hits the last ride this time, but Edge kicks out again. The counter go-round rolls on as Taker accidentally kicks down the referee, and Edge lays him out. Taker grabs Edge with a choke slam, but Edge kicks him low to break it up as Cole calls him crafty. Edge grabs a camera from a cameraman. That's a callback to Survivor Series. He slides in the ring and hits Taker with it, but the ref is still down. Edge pulls Taker up and sets up a tombstone, but Taker reverses. Hits one of his own, but there's still no referee. A second referee sprints down, but Edge kicks out. Finally, Hawkins and Ryder show up, but Taker wipes them out with a big choke slam from the apron to the floor. Edge catches Taker with a spear, but Taker kicks out. Edge tries another one, but Taker counters and locks Edge in Hell's Gate. And Edge eventually taps out, and we are done as Undertaker wins the world title uh, in a very good finish. A weird, kind of a weird main event. It was well-structured and escalated. The work on the back was good, but I think the setup would have been better suited elsewhere, not the end of a long card at night. I think we needed something a bit quicker paced, and the crowd let them know that. We needed something more like Batista Undertaker that we got in 07, where they just went right at it. Uh, the story of Edge countering the big spots was good and carried us to the bulk of it, but even then it came into a pattern of counters with Taker just hitting the move a moment later anyway. Uh, the crowd was definitely in and out here due to the slower pace, but showed up late when they needed them. It was a rock-solid main event, a cool moment for Taker, but not the classic, uh, you know, we kind of needed to uh, deliver the show. Like, I thought the show was missing that. It didn't quite feel like a mania closer. Uh, right down to Cole and Coach calling it, too. Like, they didn't feel like a big deal. So I thought to really put the show over the edge, we needed an all-time classic. This falls short to me, Scott. I went three and a half. And looking up and down this card, was this the right choice to close? Again, was it like Batista Umaga where it was the right choice? The process is good, but the results just were a little bit shaky. Uh, yeah, I mean, I gave it a three and a half. Uh, your match time, 24.03, so the longest match of the night. Um, the problem with Taker is obviously the streak. And... This obviously was, there was no way Edge was winning, was winning this match. So, again, kind of like Flair Sean earlier, it's not really the result as it is the performance. And as everyone knows, and I've documented it many times on various shows, I fucking love Taker Batista at 23. I fucking love that match. It's my favorite match on that show. And it's very high on my GWW list, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this match definitely wasn't it. It's wrestled differently. Edge is not Batista. He can't wrestle like Batista. He's not, you know, 300 pounds brick shithouse. He's, you know, I like Edge's matches. I've always talked about Edge as kind of a hybrid. It, it didn't feel that way, though. Like, I don't know where the the flow went. I agree that 
and no disrespect to Cole and coach, but they're not last match guys at that moment anyway. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what else you could have done. I mean, the only thing I could think of, the only match I could think of that you might put last would be Sean and Flair and have Flair's moment end the show. That's the only thing I could think of. Uh, I'm sure Taker would have been pissed that, you know, another year that he doesn't get the main event slot. So I don't know. But it's been a great feud. It's told a great story between Edge and Taker because it goes all the way back to um, the previous spring when Taker was champion and and then, you know, uh, Edge, uh, you know, cashed the money in the bank on him and it kind of goes all the way back and then he boned him in November and then took the belt from him in December. And so the story is fine, but this did not deliver like the last match of the night it needed to be. It was fine. It was solid edge. They wrestled a a better match than, than, you know, I think we expected, but was it a last match of the night main event of mania feel? Eh. Not really. Big moment for Taker. I felt like Taker beating Batista the year before felt bigger, though, than this did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying not to disrespect Edge, but I, I don't know how to how else to kind of waggle your way around it. But. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a great show all uh, all around, but I think the only match you could have probably put last would be Sean and Flair. That's the only thing I could think. Of. I wouldn't put. You can't have Orton in the show, although he would earn it. You can't have a bad, you can't have Orton in the show. Uh, not like that. Um, I don't know, Tim, what do you think? What'd you think of the match? And did the match deliver in your eyes? And w- if not, was there any other match that you would have put in this spot instead? I am a bit higher on this match than you two guys are. I have it at four stars. Um, I personally like this match. Um, even the placement of it. The, this night is so emotionally draining already. So to expect more strong emotion out of the main event is, is really tough considering we've, we've already had um, the emotion from Sean and, and Rick uh, earlier in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to kind of send the fans home happy and Undertaker, although the, the, giant fireworks debacle that we talked about at the top of the show took place. Sending the fans home happy with the undertaker is definitely the way to go. Um, but you also have to take into into consideration too, at this juncture edge was also undefeated in singles competition at WrestleMania. Um, Mm -hmm. so there was some backstory in, in regards of streak versus streak. Um, and this is one of the times where I kind of wish the WWE would have, maybe pulled the trigger and had edge beat the undertaker at WrestleMania, uh, just to kind of get the streak over and done with, um, especially since in the years to come where we're dragging along the, the streak. And while we have a lot of good matches to come in subsequent WrestleManias, that last dredge, if you, if you just put the streak out of its misery, you don't have to worry about it at all. Um, but yeah, four for me. Um, I I think that they did as good as they could have been in this main event spot. Mm-hmm. Um, WrestleMania two, at least in the more recent years, 
the best match or the match that probably should have main evented after the, the, it's all been said and done isn't always the main event, um, which is kind of weird that WWE can or perpetually books themselves in this kind of situation with having the best match not close the show or the best moment close out the show. Um, but it's no knock to Edge and and Taker. Um, I think their best stuff is yet to come in the calendar year. Um, but a good, a very solid WrestleMania main event. I kind of wish Edge would have won, like I said, but um, no knock on on them. Just trying their best in a very emotionally charged night. All right, we wrap up with the classic Mania post-show video, and we mm-hmm. are out. So let's get to our awards here, guys. Uh, MVP of the night, a d- decent amount of options here. I went, I, and I couldn't choose between the two of them. I, I went with Mayweather and Big Show. I mean, they went out there, delivered an all-time uh, classic celebrity match. And again, even with some blurred lines and some shaky stuff around it, they still crushed it. I agree. It was entertaining. What do you think, Tim? Uh, um, I'm going my MVP being the big show, just being the the general out there, keeping uh, everything on the rails and and allowing Mayweather to to shine like like he he should. Uh, gives me a, a lot of a lot of green points for that. Okay, uh, LVP. I went with Ashley. I, I thought she was just terrible in that match. Like she's been around a couple of years now, and still not really clicking for her. And it really dragged down what could have been. And this has been a little renaissance here, too. Like, we've dug some of the women's stuff at 07. Beth has helped write this ship. Mickey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Melina. Like, they've done some good stuff. So this this was disappointing to see it on this stage like that. I was going to go the whole match, but you're right. I I, I think it, the rest of them would have been a lot better if it was at, at Candace. Ashley should, again, after a couple of years, there's no excuse for being that bad. Um. While Ashley is is very, very actively bad uh, in her participation at WrestleMania, she is not the worst performer at this WrestleMania. My least valuable player is going to Kim Kardashian, single-handedly hey. the worst WrestleMania celebrity of all time. Ah. Uh, she is utilized not once but twice god-awful horribly during this WrestleMania. Um, I understand that she is... Uh, here for a very specific reason and she fulfills that reason but she could have at least acted like she gave a shit about anything she was doing i think it's just her personality in general but yeah that's how she comes <laughs> yeah. off usually yeah um all right best match i went with mayweather show tim i'm guessing you had flair uh michaels right yeah okay scott what was your highest uh, Flair, Sean, because I have four and a quarter, followed by okay. Triple H and uh, and Orton and Cena, but Sh- Flair, Sean, four and a quarter. All right, worst match, uh, I went with Kane and uh, Chavo. Uh, yeah, so did I. <laughs> quarter of a star. I'm I almost Playboy almost a dud. Yeah. <laughs> I almost gave it a dud, but I feel like I don't know. I don't know Jr. in our original in our. 80s run if we gave any mania <laughs> matches duds i just feel not i feel I'm giving sure. a mania match a dud is rough 
Yeah. I think WrestleMania 2 may have one or two. Yeah. (laughs) Figured two. All right. uh, Best moments. I went with Flair's post-match goodbye. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be. Killed me. Killed me. Yeah. I'm going to go with that as well. Okay. Surprise of the night. I went with Matt Hardy's return. Yes. Definitely. Um, for me, it's Randy Orton's uh, retention mm-hmm. of the WWE yeah. champion. Yeah. Oh, God. Damn it. it Good it, one, it's Cena. It's Cena. It's Triple H. Cena is uh, Cena's the Rumble winner who lost his way to greatness, and Triple H finds his way in there, and everybody else gets the really awesome speed of the entrances, and Orton just comes out there and wins. Um so I, I think it has to be that for me. Yeah. You can't go wrong. I gotta I gotta put that to JR. I mean I, I don't think okay. anybody thought Orton was walking out with the belt. All right. Uh it's interesting. We've had big returns on now four out of the last five pay per views. Edge mm. of Survivor Series, Cena at the Rumble, Big Show at No Way Out, and then Hardy here. So interesting mm. trend. Uh all right, final grade. This was a, a very, very good mania, a, a top tier mania i'd have to look back at where i had it when aaron and i did ranking all the manias i think personally for me it's probably like a top 12 ish in there somewhere uh i ended up going seven and a half out of ten i think it was missing at least for me that one true all-time classic i felt flair and sean came a little short but it does have a lot of moments it flows it's an easy show to watch and uh, a lot of stuff happens it's it's a high quality show yeah, the the good stuff was good, not great. The bad stuff was was awful. Uh, yeah, I can't grade it as I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, it, it was an easy watch. The announcing was good. I love the visuals of the yarn of the Citrus Bowl. Um, but did the really bad outweigh the really good? Yeah, it did. I mean, again, love Flair, Sean. Uh, the triple threat was good. Main event was solid. Love money and, you know, Mayweather. And, but the Kane stuff was just absolutely unwatchable shit. And that Lumberjill match was garbage. And it was bad garbage. Mm-hmm. So I still like it. I agree with you. It's probably in that top 12. But um, and a seven is not failing, but I can't go higher than that. Tim? Um, I'm going to go tick higher than uh then uh, both of you, I'm going an 8 out of 10. Mm. Um, chock full of WrestleMania moments um, with, you know, Flair's last match, um, the memorable John Cena entrance, the Mayweather Big Show match delivering as an all-time celebrity match. Um, the bad on this card is bad, but also doesn't necessarily if you look at the clock, doesn't overstay its welcome. Now, granted, it feels like an eternity when Umaga and Batista are out there or the the Playboy uh, tag team match. But um, all in all, I think it's it's a really solid WrestleMania. Uh, the the ambiance, the feel of everything, it kind of lifts it up for me. And you have to remember, too, like this event saves the Citrus Bowl from being kind of extinct. Uh, it puts, revitalizes it back into this. Um, mm-hmm. So with all that, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. 
All right, that'll do it for us here tonight. WrestleMania is in the books. We'll start our next, I guess, season, Scott, in uh, four weeks. We're going to take uh, Fourth of July week off, so we'll be back a month from tonight with Backlash 2008. So we'll see all the fallout from this show, and then we'll uh, head into the rest of 08. We'll see what we got cooking as we head toward the end of the year. Uh, so for Not the Tool Man, Tim Taylor, for Scott... Justin, we are out. Everyone take care. Check out all with the content we have to offer that we talked about earlier. We appreciate all the support as always. Welcome to summer. Have a safe, happy, and healthy holiday weekend upcoming, and we will talk to you in a month. Take care.